there's no more room in hell. The dead will start a podcast. I might have expected it. Can't say about the other one. everybody and welcome to no more room in hell number 33 this is mike joining me as always it's mr venom what's up venom greetings and salutations severin film fans i'm doing pretty good mike how you doing we already lost mike no he's muted (laughs) 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 two minutes in i've been found (laughs) I, i was stranded at the mute button um yeah, I'm doing well. Uh, anyone that listens to our other show, Fresh Cuts, knows I uh, I had started a new job this past week, so it was like a whole week of training, not having to do too much work. But I uh, got through that, and then what do you know? The weekend's almost over, all over again. So, yeah, ready for another week of work, I guess. Uh, <laughs> joining us, all, uh, as always, again, Derek. What's up, Derek? Pretty great, man. You know, uh, great for you to be working. That means I should be getting that birthday present finally at my door, Michael. <laughs> yeah, I know that. I, I talked to my work. I was like, "Can you put a rush on the paycheck?" You know, I got gifts to give out, and they said, uh, "Well, the first paycheck will be a, uh, a time period and a half, just because of when you started." So, um, it'll be on its way, Derek. I'll, I'll be looking over the wish list soon. That's <laughs> uh, nice. Uh, I'll give you interest too, so maybe I'll get you two things. Oh, <laughs> dude, <this is> interest. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, no more room in hell number thirty-three. Venom. This episode, we are going to be discussing your picks, and since I never really intend to not tell listeners what the picks are up front, I just usually even forget to ask. Uh, what are your two picks uh, for this episode? Well. As uh, most of you heard my greeting to Severin Film fans, obviously, kind of makes this our first ever Severin uh, special. Uh, Basically, the reason that I picked these two movies, it's really no grand, you know, thought process in any way, shape or form. I just happened to buy these two movies at a recent Severin sale, and I, I got them in the mail like, Uh, maybe about a month ago. And I just remember looking at them and just thinking, wait a minute, I've never, at least not on our network. I don't remember anybody ever speaking about either one of these films. And um, one of them was a first time watch for me. So I figured, screw it, let's go ahead and make it a show. So there it is. So the movies that we're going to be looking at um, this week are uh, 1980s uh, Dr. Butcher MD Medical Deviant also <laughs> no- <laughs> and yes folks I'm going to say the entire fucking title because I love that title I could easily call it Dr. Butcher or Zombie Holocaust as it's uh, original Italian title was Zombie with an I um, but 
just to give you a tiny little bit of backstory, I first heard about this movie, believe it or not, listening to Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. Now, for those who don't listen to that podcast, it's basically a podcast that celebrates uh, the golden era of Hollywood, both film and television. So, you know, they're going to be talking more stuff from the 40s, 50s, 60s, stuff like that. But every now and again, Gilbert will bring up this movie and he speaks the title in its in its entirety. And I feel like as a tribute to Gilbert, who I am kind of a fan of, for those who don't know, I'm going to go ahead and speak the entire title every time I bring it up. So, yes, our first film is 1980s Dr. Butcher, M.D., Medical Deviant, a.k.a. Zombie Holocaust. And our second film is going to be our first foray into one of my favorite directors, um, Spain's Jess Franco, Jesus Franco, as people knew him in his early days. And we're going to be looking at one of his later films, actually. And uh, so we're going to be looking at 1981's Bloody Moon, um, you know, kind of a just a, a very Franco style slasher that you know, maybe doesn't live up to the expectations of a Franco film, but there's a lot of backstory behind that. So when we talk about the film, we get to it. So yeah, that's our slate for this week. Bloody Moon and Dr. Butcher, Medical Deviant. Or as Gilbert Godfrey would call it, Dr. Butcher, MD, Medical Deviant. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Yeah, that's oh, pretty man. good. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, now I'm feeling like we really messed up not trying to get him on this episode. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure he would have jumped at the opportunity. <laughs> yeah, really. He would roast us all, you know. Oh, see, that would be worth it. Yeah, it'd be yeah. worth it just for that. Like, he just, ro- he just roasts us and leaves immediately. Hey, I'd take it. <laughs> Hell, yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, um, now that uh, we handled introductions, let's go ahead and catch up with anything we've been watching, playing, reading, anything. So... Venom, I'll start with you. Uh, what do you got? All right, folks. Um, unfortunately, uh, for those who don't know, uh, Derek and myself, and, and even Mike, for that matter, are very busy with uh, the uh, podcast Under the Stairs summer series. So I've been spending, and collectively, we've been spending a lot of time with that. So unfortunately, I'm not going to have a whole lot to talk about this week, but I'm still going to bring what I have. Now, obviously, the majority of what... Uh, I've been watching over the last two two to four weeks has been stuff for the summer series and, of course, the new films that I watch for fresh cuts. But obviously, we're not going to double down there. So uh, over the last month, the one 2021 film that I've watched that uh, we have not looked at on fresh cuts is a film from Brazil. This was recently dropped on Shutter. Right at the end of May, I believe, is when it dropped on Shutter, and the film is Skull the Mask. Um, it is a <laughs> just a very over-the-top, violent, um, kind of supernatural serial killer film based out of Brazil, um, and shot shot and based in Sao Paulo, Brazil, uh, the capital. Um, and man, first and foremost, it's the gore for this movie. It is just a absolute gore fest um it's fun 
you know, the story is nothing great. Obviously, it's about a, a mask. Then whoever wears the mask uh, immediately becomes possessed by this demon thing that they're speaking about on the film. Um, and basically, the the wearer of the mask just turns into a mindless just killer. Just I, I, And I mean killing in just some epic ways. We get some really, really cool set pieces here. Um, the design of the of the antagonist himself. I mean, the skull looks. Or excuse me, the mask. Obviously, hence the title, skull. The mask looks like a skull, kind of an oversized skull, if you will. Um, almost kind of Skeletor looking from He Man. If uh, Shao Kahn. Ooh, even better. Yes, Shao Kahn. Shao mm. Kahn without his helmet. Oh, actually, yeah. As I'm looking at the pictures, yeah, that's it exactly. Thank you, Derek. Um, so yeah, like I said, just, a, a, you know, it, it's one of those shut your brain off. Don't try to pull out any grand story or, you know, amazing performances or dialogue. It's just, a you know, guilty pleasure gore fest that I absolutely enjoyed. It's, you know, nine, it's a solid 90 minutes. So it's, it's a quick watch. And like I said, shut your brain off. There's no need to worry too much about brain power for this one and just enjoy the absolute gore fest. That is skull, the mask. Uh, either of you guys check this out yet. I started it. I haven't finished it yet. Unfortunately. How far did uh, you get? Uh, about 20 minutes. in. Like, uh, it was oh. late night. It was like early morning when I got out of work and passed out. It was like, it wasn't like I was bored or the sure. of the movie. <laughs> What'd you think, Mike? So I actually saw this, uh, like real late at night, but I remember being very impressed with the gore. The story. Yeah. It's not, um, overly involved there's not a ton to the plot but i mean when the movie's about someone putting on a mask that turns them into a brutal killer it's like that's about all story i need because it's pretty much telling me that it's gonna be full of violence and gore and that's pretty much what the reviews were like i read a couple ahead of time just to kind of get an idea of what the hell the movie was all about and uh yeah it delivered in that sense so i also had to, I, I do need to rewatch it because when i did it was like pretty late at night but there was enough going on in it that i remember some of those violent scenes and i was like yeah. yes it it uh delivers what was promised in that sense oh yeah, uh, yeah i might have to i might start that after we finish again because you know i just uh i'm not going to actually be talking about this movie for my next pick but i I was watching for the summer series, the, one of my picks, The Skin I Live In. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> can't, I can't wait to talk about that movie. Man. Yep. <laughs> you know, but, uh, yeah. Want me to go next, Mike? Yep. Uh, keeping the tradition of Severin, I actually just got a Severin Films movie in today, so I'm going to talk about that one with you guys today. And uh, this one is one of their newer releases. It's uh, Luigi Cozy's The Black Cat. Oh, it, also known as Demon Six, uh, which you know they just title movies demons and they're not even related. <laughs> <laughs> this one's actually really interesting. If you don't know Luigi Cosa, he's uh, he, he was like Dario Argento's assistant. He runs the the store that's owned by both him and uh, Dario Argento, Sando Profondo in Italy. He's directed like Star Crash, Contamination. Uh, the Hercules movies with Lou Ferrigno. Uh, those are all Luigi Cosi movies, Paganini horror. Uh, this pretty much is a meta horror film because what this movie is displaying to us uh, 
is it's about a film crew and a director who's actually working on the script for the next chapter of the Three Mothers trilogy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the Mother of Tears, which they actually get into. And it's very meta because they actually mentioned Superior and Dario Argento in the movie. Uh, the young director is played by actually demon star and opera star Ubrani Barbarini. And uh, uh, pretty much what happens is they find this old book and they actually awaken the witch that the story of the Mother of Tears is based off of in real time in the setting. So this is pretty much the third Suspiria movie. Really? And it's, it's pretty awesome, yeah. He he just went on his own, and it's pretty awesome because, you know, they mention Suspiria in the movie, and, of course, what ends up playing for the music, the Suspiria theme. <laughs> and then you know, it has, like, rich green and reds like Suspiria has. It's actually a very interesting film. Uh, kind of non-linear like Suspiria is with the storytelling, which, you know, you get with a lot of Italian films, unfortunately, uh, of this nature with the, you know, it's sub, it's sub it's uh, images over story. That kind of thing, right? But uh, they actually have a good subplot with uh, actually one of the stars of this movie is legendary Caroline Monroe, who plays like an agent starlet herself, who's trying to get that role, and she plays like a little bit of uh, the subplot later in the movie. And the reason why it's called the Black Cat is uh, it actually starts out with them making a movie version of Edgar Allan Poe's The Black Cat. It's the movie that they're working on at the time. Which it, it kind of has like the the way I would describe that aspect of it. It's kind of like when uh, they made the 1970s version of the Murder of the Rue Morgue, but it's actually not that story. They actually do a stage play of that version mm-hmm. of the movie. That's why it's called that. It's kind of like that kind of aspect of it that I like. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a cool movie. And uh, Luigi Cosa even outdoes himself. He, there's actually a stomach exploding scene which outdoes his stomach exploding scene from Contamination in the movie. (laughs) Yeah, there's tons of gore. Uh, The witch itself is fucking gruesome looking. If you look at the cover of the Severn Films release, you'll see what the witch looks like. Uh, I had a ball with this. It's it's a great little movie from the early 90s. I'm just shocked I actually got a Blu-ray release, and it looks fucking amazing on Blu-ray. Not many special features. There's actually a commentary track. Uh, not commentary track, uh, interview with Luigi Cosi and Caroline Monroe that's on the same uh, feature called Cat on the Brain. <laughs> uh, and, you know, just trailer, but, you know, uh, it's a good release. I, I think pick it up if you haven't picked it up yet. It's actually a fun little meta horror movie that is better than the actual Third Mother's movie that Dario Argento did, so I'll give it that much. That's not too hard to do, though. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, what was the year on that movie? 1990. 90, okay, yeah, I'll check that out. Yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, I've not seen that either. That, otherwise, yeah, that's why I had no input on it. But uh, So, okay, so for my three, I'm at, they're actually all movies uh, recently new, um, new-ish, or at least either new in release or having become available so i'll start uh with a movie that i missed 
being able to see it theatrically by one week. It was sort of a limited release, not not the super limited, but you know the the next level up where it it goes to most cities, but maybe only in one of your theaters or you know maybe only two showings a day or something. And so I ended up having to wait to see it till uh, it hit BOD, and that would be in the Earth, which is they're classifying kind of as a eco horror movie. Some people are calling it like the happening on acid. <laughs> um, <laughs> but me personally, I really like this one. There, there's a lot of uh, mixed, uh, I was going to say results, uh, reactions out there. You know, some people found it boring, I guess. Me, I was drawn into the story. I was totally uh, there for everything that was going on. I thought the characters were interesting. I thought their mission was interesting. You know, for those that don't know this movies you know it's it's about um a virus that has ravaged the earth and you have some um scientists in the field kind of out in nature trying to you know study figure things out and uh they run into a couple interesting characters that are also out there for their own reasons and as you can imagine things might start okay but con Flicks arise, true intentions get revealed, and we kind of go from there, you know, without saying too much. But um, I quite liked it. I, I can understand why people would probably think it's slow. Maybe they just don't think there's enough of a conclusion by the end, but I kind of feel like that's how this movie was set up on purpose, kind of like the, uh, you know, nature... We are basically the mer- mer- at the mercy of nature. Ultimately, you know, it might not always seem like it because of how convenient living has become. At least, you know, for some of us in certain parts of the world. But ultimately, when nature chooses to reclaim, it shall. But uh, have either of you guys seen In the Earth? Yeah, I've seen it. What do you think, Derek? I liked it. Uh, you know, I'm actually a. Uh... I, I wanted to see this one in theaters because it was Ben Wheatley film and I was interested in it because it was filmed during lockdown, which which makes sense when you watch like pretty much the beginning of the movie where everyone's wearing face masks. Uh, yeah, it actually builds into that virus aspect of the movie kind of well. Uh, you know, I hear a lot of people complain about this, but when I'm hearing about like it was just made on the whim during lockdown because they just wanted to make a movie, I'm like, it could have been fucking way worse in that sense too you know what I mean well yeah plus it's like so I mean the what was the alternate just to shut everything like shut yourself down from even attempting to for like a year and a half I don't think so yeah and you know uh, I thought it was very like I could see why people would be kind of pissed at the ending though which I actually don't really remember how it ended but uh cause I haven't seen it since I saw it in th- I actually seen this one in theaters oh cool uh, yeah, uh, which was kind of a great experience because I was the only one in the theater watching this movie, <laughs> so I could move around, just take my mask off, and just eat popcorn. It was fucking great. Uh, but uh, that was during the time when we still had to wear masks and shit. But you know, uh, but uh, yeah, I liked it for what it was. Uh, is it my favorite Ben Wheatley movie? It's probably in like the mid range for me. I. It's kind of a good uh, counterbalance to like his movie A Field of England, which a lot of people also have divisive thoughts on. Mm-hmm. You know, even uh, shout out to Mr. Parker. Uh, he's like, yeah, that movie's not that great, but I'm like, 
Yeah, yeah, I I like it a lot. It's one of my favorites. And Dave's like, why? Because <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I, I I kind of feel like this one. It almost you know it's a completely different movie, obviously than the other one I'm going to bring up. But in in a way, I kind of feel like there's the same type of criticism, like as a movie like The Witch, where so many people went into it thinking, oh, this movie's going to be about you know this witch running around terrorizing people. And I think with this movie, maybe they thought like, okay, once our characters run into um, the other people in the woods, okay, now it's going to turn into like some slasher in the woods. And I'm like, that's really not what this movie was trying to be in the first place. It's not a slasher or anything like that. It's really about how nature is the monster. Well, not so much that nature is a monster, but nature is just nature. And we coexist with it. And sometimes the balance gets tipped in one way or the other and uh eventually it gets tipped in nature scale and we can try to adjust but sometimes there's just things we can't do anything about i mean that's really to me what the what the movie was about yeah for sure and you know uh yeah it, it, i i could see why people can because it is, is in the same subgenre as the witch but it's in a different sort of movie than the witch it's in that folk horror realm mm-hmm. about nature and stuff and you know, the woods and stuff, but it's told in a different sort of way, which I kind of liked. And, you know, I'm actually, I might be picking this one up when it comes out in physical, because I really did dig it and I want to revisit it. Yeah. I I, want to rewatch it too, because I've only seen it the one time, just because I kind of, like you guys, I watched it in the midst of all this other stuff going on with things to watch. And um, so it was kind of one of those ones where it's like, you, kind of watch it don't have a ton of time to think about it afterwards because you have to move on to the next thing so i definitely wouldn't mind rewatching it and yeah. hey you know because it's 2021 if we ever run into a fresh cuts week where we have nothing to do it could always end up on there maybe so we'll see back to venom if you got anything else venom's like i i don't have a microphone now that's what venom has or doesn't have. Oh, I guess, uh, yeah, it, it was my turn to mute myself. The mute, the, <laughs> see, the mute buttons are fighting back. <laughs> Could oh, be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So we just got Derek left to mute himself, and uh, we'll have the trifecta. Nice. Right. Okay, so for my next movie, um, that's it for 2021 stuff for me. Uh, like I said, I've just been busy with life and other podcasts, so I am going to bring in one of the movies that uh, we're looking at for the summer series for the podcast Under the Stairs. It is from 2018. Um, it is a film that Mike and I did not review on Fresh Cuts. I, I don't even think we've even had uh, a passing conversation about this one, so I figured you know, I'm not going to get too in-depth with reviewing it. I'm just going to give you some basics and then just some very loose, uh, you know, opinions on whether I liked it or not. And that is the, the film in question um, is one that I wanted to watch back in 2018. I had heard some positive feedback on it, but it just started getting closer and closer to the end of the year. Uh, the movie actually was released just before Thanksgiving on, in 2018. That movie is The Clove Hitch Killer. Um, 
like I said, a movie that I wanted to watch back in 2018, but just didn't get a chance to. But now getting to assigned to 2018 for the summer series gave me a, a opportunity to watch it. And I am very glad I did. Um, I, I really do enjoy this movie. I can see the argument as it not being a horror film. I've heard some people, you know, once again, this is one of those kind of borderline movies that gets people arguing back and forth. Um, you know, it is a movie about a serial killer, uh, a serial killer that's been going for a long time. who's had a long history of kills, but is currently in the midst of a lull where they haven't actually taken anyone out in like eight to ten years. And the story kind of just progresses from there. Now, the issue with this film um, that makes a lot of people say it's not a horror film is that there's no on-screen death. Um, in fact, there's really only one death throughout the movie runtime, and that one isn't on screen. So really, I mean, the horror aspect of this film is the past crimes, you know, finding pictures, finding um, you know, different clues and trinkets that are proving that a particular person in the film is actually the synonymous uh, clove hitch killer. Um, so it's really, I mean, it's got elements of police procedural. It's got elements of a family drama. It's very heavily family drama uh, once you actually get into it. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm probably not going to talk about it much more than that, other than to say that I, I do regret not watching this in 2018. This was a really great film. It would have been a cool film to talk about at the time and I would have been interested to see where it may have landed in my uh, best of 2018 had I seen it in time. I can't say it's an absolute guarantee it would have made my top 10, but it definitely would have been a candidate, a strong candidate. So uh, I'm assuming at least one of you guys has seen this one. So what'd you guys think of Clove Hitch? I've seen it. Uh, yeah. Uh, Dylan McDermott, man. <laughs> oh, amazing performance yeah uh yeah he based that off btk uh mm -hmm. btk completely especially uh i think the whole character is actually based on him especially the look the feel mm -hmm. actually i think even he was like a guidance counselor on his off years of not being a serial killer <laughs> uh you know and uh i like that and you know he just goes as a haul in especially that scene where he's in his outfit yeah <laughs> You know, it's great. It's one of the most underrated performances of that year because no one ever talks about it. Uh, yeah. It's good. I, I really liked it. I think it made my because I top five. Uh, I think it was my number five for that year. I know a lot of people have it in their top ten, which is one of the reasons I regretted not seeing it at the time. But at, at the same time, too, like I, I had to get the house that Jack built watched. Like, that was a priority. That was a bigger priority than Clove Hitch. And unfortunately, Clove Hitch just, by the time I had a free moment to watch it, it was already 2020. So it really didn't matter as far as for a list. But I definitely do recommend the film. Um, if you haven't seen it, it is available on Netflix now. That's an, another reason I brought it to the table. It just recently hit Netflix last month. And that's why I'm seeing a lot more people talk about it. I'm seeing more Twitter posts about it, things like that. Uh, it, it seems like a lot of people are discovering it now, just like me, you know, with Netflix putting it out. So, uh, Mike, have you seen Clove Hitch? I have not, but yeah, it's kind of like one of those ones that slipped through the cracks for me, too. Because yep. I think with, you know, other people in our kind of uh, podcasting circle 
uh, watching movies for these years too, I've actually seen like conversations about it, like all of a sudden sprouting up, and that must be why because <laughs> it's one mm-hmm. of the ones to research. And from the from what everyone's saying about it, I'm like, damn, I need to look it up and find a copy because I want to check it out just for the purpose of watching it because I'm not on that year, but still. Um, it sounds interesting, and uh, yeah, I want to track it down and watch it for myself. Yeah, it's an incredibly strong film. Regardless of how you classify it, if you think it's horror, you think it's drama, you think it's crime, um, you know, whatever, however you classify it, it's a very powerful film with an incredibly strong lead performance. So yeah, I, I highly recommend it. Well, I mean, even if you're not a horror fan, I would recommend this film. It's that good. Well, yeah, I definitely am taking the recommendation from you and there you many go. others. So check it out on that. <laughs> Hell yeah. All right, Derek, you're next. I'm back on mute. Yep. <laughs> we all did it. Awesome. Yeah. All right. I did mine on purpose, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That you did it so that Mike and I wouldn't feel as dumb. So yeah, you know, I appreciate it. You know, uh, actually, I checked out a, a movie that uh, our last guest Jeffrey X Martin actually talked about on the last episode, Initiation. Oh, yeah. Uh, takes place on this high. Uh, I think it's a college campus, and mm-hmm. it's a slasher film, and. It's kind of unique because it has that use of technology. It's very technologically based with uh, certain aspects of it. You could actually... It was kind of weird because I, I know movies have done it like this before, but it actually shows like the text and shit on the screen when people are texting and like when phone calls are happening. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And, you know, it's actually... i never seen it done before, but I'm, I actually kind of dug it the way they did it in this movie. Especially yeah. the revolving mirrors and stuff, and I kind of like the look of the killer, and I love that he uses a power drill. <laughs> pretty fucking. I awesome. feel like the technological aspects were implemented really well in this. Like it didn't. Sometimes when movies do that, it tends to yeah, like hashtag halt the movie or take you out of it just to like see the technology aspect, and then you have to jump back in. But this one, it it kind of just goes with the flow of the movie. It was well done. Yeah, it was kind of stylistic choice, and I liked how. Uh, you know, like there was this one shot where one of the characters is in a bathroom, and it, the text actually jumps from the mirror to the actual like not the mirror. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. I thought was really cool. And there's a lot of like nice red and greens in the movie that add to it. You know, this, the director of this was kind of a fan of Italian cinema in a sense, yeah. with all those reds and greens within. It. And it was funny seeing Logan Monroe as the guidance counselor in this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, uh, there's that guy from Scary Movie again in horror movies. He's in mad horror movies now, that guy. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's pop. It's always cool, you know, when you see those guys kind of pop up. Yeah, he was in Spiral from last year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny seeing, like, he's in all the Wayne's Brothers movies. Why is that guy in yeah. Uh, but you know he's cool you know I like that uh, I didn't it actually kind of threw me into a loop because I didn't know who the killer was and that was actually the first time in a while that I was like whoa you know I yes. actually, 
Yeah, I couldn't because I didn't expect that the, the reveal to happen. I'm not going to spoil it because I want people to watch this movie. I actually really dug it. It's one of the few slasher films that we got in years that I actually thought was kind of cool and kind of original take on it. Yeah, I felt they kept uh, the identity of the killer uh, under wraps pretty well, but it wasn't like the movies that do it so well that when it is revealed, it makes no sense. Like the, yeah. It actually made sense why the killer was the killer, even though they were good at you know not making it obvious. Yeah. I also think, um, you know, from a couple of years ago, Black Christmas 2019, I think Initiation is everything that that movie wanted to be as far as some of the subject material. Like, obviously, Initiation doesn't go as far into that kind of stuff, but there is some of that stuff involved in the story as far as that subject matter. But this one's written so much better and so much more realistic and the way everything's handled in this movie is so much better. So I'm interested to see once more people start seeing this, if they've also seen, cause you know, black Christmas 2019 was almost universally hated or at least disliked across the board. And it's very justified, but I'm interested to see all the same people watch this because there's some of you know, like, you know, college campus type stuff going yeah, on was, yeah, in this something. too. But the way the story plays out, this feels like the movie itself is, inter- you know, it's interested in handling it a very different way. And I think it justifies the fact that you can have that kind of subject matter in your movie and even be somewhat of a focal point during certain aspects of the story. But you just need to get writers that know how to handle it, like in a good, well, I don't want to say fun necessarily, but a good way that, you know, it makes for an entertaining movie and it just makes a better story and the characters you actually kind of care about. And, you know, hopefully Venom, when he watches Initiation, doesn't come out of it hating all women even more. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Venom, especially, you know, I, I would like to see your thoughts on this once you see it. Yeah. yeah, I'll check it out when I got some another twenty twenty. Uh, I think. Yeah, it's twenty twenty one. Twenty twenty one. Yeah, so yeah. it's another kind of like if we need filler for a week, uh, we can, you know, keep this one on the short list of movies that we can use. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. <sighs> All right, on to my next one, and I watched a movie on Netflix called Oxygen. Now, I will say. This is probably teeters the line on being a little more sci-fi than horror um, without giving away too much. Because this isn't really any type of plot spoiler because you learn this within the first two minutes of the movie. But it's set up very similar um, to the, I believe it's 2010 movie with Ryan Reynolds, Barry. Do everyone remember that one? Mm -hmm. Or if you haven't seen it, at least you know. Okay, so you guys have seen it. So yeah, our main character wakes up in an enclosed space. And most of the movie is her figuring out why she's there, what the hell's going on, how do I save myself, and yada, yada, yada. So I would say right off the bat, you know, I mean, that's the type of movie it is. And to say any, I, I will say, the, I don't think it's terribly hard to figure things out. It's not like, you know, you'll have no idea until, like, the climax of the movie it's like you get a pretty good idea i would say you know 15 20 minutes in 
uh, mostly what's going on. Now there is like a little bit that's revealed later. Um, and then, you know, the steps she's trying to take to potentially save herself or not, you know, that's pretty cool. You know, if there's any criticism, of it, I'd say it's probably a little long because like I said, the, the information you find out that's supposed to be like, you know, revealing or enlightening about the situation, you kind of figured so much so earlier than I think they wanted you to, or it's just not that complicated, but together. So I think they could have made it, you know, I think it's about like an hour and 45, maybe probably could have been like a easy 90 minute movie, tighten it up a little and it'd be good. But overall it's, I, I was entertained by, it. you know, I, I was a fan of buried. I liked the scenario. I know there was another one that came out like a, a couple years later. That was like a total copycat movie, except I think the girl was like locked in a car trunk or something. <laughs> um, so yeah, we've gotten like a handful of those enclosed space movies ever since. And I think this one's pretty good. Like, uh, I, I don't even remember how I heard about it. Maybe someone else was talking about it as like a, a new Netflix release. Oh yeah. I know why, because uh, uh, Aja did it. Uh, yeah. Alexander Aja. That's why. It. Yeah. Cause someone told me, Oh, that new Alexander Aja movie. And I was like, Oh, okay. I'll throw it on and see what it's all about. And yeah, overall I would give it a, a positive rating. Um, Probably, you know, not, uh, yeah, not, I'm trying to think of 2021 specifically. I probably will say by the end of the year, not a top 10, but I think it's one of the better ones I've seen um, this year. Pretty, pretty good, pretty good. So have you guys, neither of you seen it yet? Not yet. Nope. All right. Well, then I will leave my thoughts there because to give away any more would be too much. Um, <laughs> all right. If you have anything else, Venom. Um, you know, I could actually bring one more to the table. It's a silly movie. I, I just remembered that I fell asleep watching this movie um, last weekend. Uh, but it's a movie I've seen dozens of times. So it's not, you know, it's not like I needed to watch it this particular time. This movie is an absolute guilty pleasure. This movie is not, I repeat, not a good movie. It's one of those movies that you either love it or you hate it. Uh, the movie's from 1981. It came out right around Halloween 1981. I saw it in theaters, and I guess as an 11-year-old, I was a little bit of an idiot because I walked out of the theater absolutely loving it, but I think I may have been the target market for this movie, too. It's not a kid's movie, though it is PG. It is rated PG, um, and it's only an hour and 15 minutes, so the quick runtime is you know, usually probably uh, fairly advantageous for parents with kids get them in and out of the theater as quickly as possible. Anyway, uh, the movie I am talking about is directed by Howard Cohen. It stars Richard Benjamin, Paula Prentice, and Jeffrey Tambor. If you're over the age of 30, those names probably mean nothing to you. Um, but the film in question is, uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to say the tagline because the tagline is so epic. The tagline for the film was it gets bad on Friday the 13th, but it gets even worse on Saturday the 14th. Yes, I am talking about Saturday the 14th, one of the silliest horror comedies probably ever made, but I absolutely adore this film. Like I said, I, it's an absolute guilty pleasure for me. I can look at this movie and I can tell it was shot terribly, it was written terribly, it was acted, 
maybe not terribly above right around average to above average, I'd say, because even watching it this week, um, I, I still was able to pull some pleasure out of it. And for you Nightmare on Elm Street fans, if you ever wondered where Wes Craven got the idea for the bathtub gag in the original Nightmare on Elm Street, watch Saturday the 14th. It predates the first Nightmare by three years, and it's almost a carbon copy of the bathtub scene in Nightmare. So check that out. But for those who haven't seen it, I mean, the movie has like a mix of like universal monster style movies. Uh, uh, monsters, excuse me. There's like a Gill Man in there. Uh, Jeffrey Tambor plays like a basic Dracula type, not literally Dracula, but just like a basic, you know, thousand year old vampire type. Um, we even have a Van Helsing character in it. Uh, a descendant of the original Van Helsings is here. Uh, and the basic story, uh, just in case anyone doesn't know, a family inherits a mansion from an old relative. Within the house is something called the Book of Evil. And that book is used to kind of trap all the monsters of the world in it. Unfortunately, the little boy in the family finds the book, and as he looks through the book and opens the pages, uh, the monsters actually disappear from the page and then appear in real life in other parts of the house. So, I mean, we're looking at a, a you know solidly a comedy horror. I, I can't even call it horror comedy because there's nothing scary about it whatsoever. It is legitimately a comedy. Every scene is an attempt at comedy, but being based around a house and this book of evil and then a, a plethora of monsters. I mean, by the time the movie's over, we probably get a good 12 to 15 different monsters in the movie of different shapes and sizes and things like that. So, uh, like I said, as an 11 year old, I may have been the target market for this movie back in 81, but it's one of those movies that nostalgia holds strong and I still can watch this movie um, you know, and still derive a little bit of pleasure from it. Uh, for those who are interested, the movie is available on Amazon Prime. If you have a Prime membership, go ahead and check it out for free right now. As I mentioned, it's only an hour and 15 minutes. It's a quick watch, and I can assure anyone who watches it, you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it. So to most of you, I say I'm sorry, but to the few who actually walk away liking it, uh, you're welcome. I would. I I can assume at least one of you guys saw Saturday the Fourteenth. Oh yeah, Saturday the Fourteenth is a blast, man. <laughs> it is. Mm-hmm. It's so fun. It's so stupid and funny. <laughs> yeah, I, I've seen it years ago. It's it's been a long time, but yeah. you know, I I actually think when I was so young at the time that there's that kind of period where in the eighties where for people like a little bit older mm-hmm. the, you obviously probably went into it knowing it was like a spoof and all that. I probably saw it so young that it took me a little bit to catch on because I probably hadn't even seen tons of just standard horror yet. So like, mm-hmm. you know, throwing this on, it just sounded like, an you know, it sounded like, okay, another horror movie. Like, Oh, I probably thought going in oh it's like a rip off of friday 13th obviously because of the name yeah <laughs> but i was just too young to even just realize but it's not just a rip it's not a rip off it's a satire and mm-hmm. 
just ended up thinking it was cheesy and then of course seeing it afterwards like again later on i was like okay obviously <laughs> i was young you got and the stupid. it was cheesy <laughs> yeah it was cheesy but now i understand why and then, you know it wasn't like they were trying to make it serious and ended up with a cheesy movie no that was the intention but oh man it's a blast it, it's it's hilarious i agree i mean i was i popped it on figuring i wasn't because i literally hadn't watched it and I'd probably say like five, six years that was the last time I watched it. And watching it this time, I thought I was going to hate it, like just because of the sheer number of movies I've seen since the last time I watched this. But you know what? The scenes that were funny to me in 81 were still mildly funny to me. Um, It obviously doesn't hold up great. Somebody watching it for the first time now Oof, I, I can't imagine too many, especially horror fans. I, I can't imagine too many are going to walk away at least loving it the way that I do. Um, like I said, it's, it, I, I think it's going to be a very, uh, you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it. There's, there's not going to be much of a middle ground, you know? So as I said, you know, go into it with a grain of salt, but it's, it's literally one of my favorite comedy horror films ever. And it's, probably one of the worst ones ever made and i don't care (laughs) it's worse than class reunion Ooh, you know what i watched class reunion like a couple of months ago too um ha it might be because class reunion has a a more cohesive story and like i i think that one would speak to horror fans more whereas saturday the 14th i think would speak more to like the monster squad crowd you know, if you love the Monster Squad, I would highly recommend Saturday the 14th. The weirdest one ever is fucking Pandemonium because it's from the director of Hell Sweet Alice. That's right. Pandemonium. <laughs> I forgot. And Wacko. <laughs> yep. <laughs> there's, a, there's a few of them. Oh, man. Yeah, so that, that's my third one, Mike. Yeah, all uh, of them I'm, have... sure, I'm sure people are going to love that I recommended uh, they watch this. <laughs> it has a Blu-ray, too, from Scream Factory. That's right. Scream Factory did put it out. But like I said, Prime. If, if you got a Prime membership, go check it out. Today. Yeah, pr- Prime it first to see if it's for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, Derek, you got it, something for your last one? Yeah, actually, I do. I have a, I got this Blu-ray in. Uh, it's a TV movie from 1970, and it is titled, let me read the title for you guys, The House That Would Not Die. Uh, this is, uh, actually, ironically enough, the next episode of Similar Attack is actually, uh, the Cold Shack TV movies, The Night Stalker and The Night Strangler. Uh, this film is directed by John Moxie, who directed The Night Stalker. Uh, and this one's produced by Aaron Spellin, of all people. I was kind of shocked. I'm like, Aaron Spellin? <laughs> uh, but it actually has a pretty interesting cast. We got Barbara Stanwyck. Richard Egan and uh, Katie Wynn, who I believe she was uh, the housemaid that was in The Exorcist, the younger oh. assistant to uh, Barbara. Yeah. You know, uh, thing there. Barbara Hershey's yeah. character. Or not Barbara Hershey. Uh, Ellen Burstyn. Ellen Burstyn. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. That's what I was thinking of. But uh, yeah, it's pretty much uh, Barbara Stanwyck's character moves into this new house that actually has an interesting past. And Kitty Wynn plays her young niece that accompanies her to this house to live with her. And things start to go around, and, you know, it's like your typical haunted house where Kitty Wynn's getting kind of possessed by an old spirit that used to live in the house. And pretty much what ends up happening is it's uh, everyone's there that gets involved 
actually ends up trying to solve this mystery why this ghost is possessing Katie Wynn's character. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much the major plot of the movie. It's your typical TV movie fear. It actually has a very nice house setting. Uh, great performances for a TV movie. And uh, I dug it. It's your typical haunted house TV movie. Which, you know, I can't really say too much about it because it is kind of standard in that sense. But for a TV movie, I've seen worse. You know, it was pretty good. Nice. Who yeah. put that out? You said you said you picked up a Blu-ray. Yeah, Kino uh, Lober. Cool. Who's actually been putting out a lot of uh because they they put out the Night Stalker and the Night Strangler. Uh, That's right. Yeah. And they actually uh recently put out Ritual of Evil and a uh, Fear of Evil, the two TV movies starring Louis Jordan. I have an order from Kino coming, and I can't think of what I bought. I know I have at least two movies coming from Kino because they had a sale recently too, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah. they always I, I I tend to only buy stuff on sale. <laughs> yeah, yeah I like ass. their sales a lot too because you know I usually pick up a lot of shit because you know you get that free shipping when you get over fifty. Exactly. Yeah. So I try to grab a few of them. Uh, I also I, I didn't I got Zoltan the Hound of Dracula too, which I haven't watched yet. Oh. It, yeah. it sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, from the director of Mike's favorite movie, Ghoulies 2. <laughs> Al, Al, Albert, Albert Mike's Band. favorite movie is Critters 2. <laughs> I do. Those are two franchises. I do think the part twos are better. Oh, by far. Part ones. Critters yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Ghoulies, Ghoulies 1 is pretty terrible. Uh, all right. Um, my third one. Okay, so this one is I think something we were originally considering uh, for fresh cuts because it just recently dropped on Shutter, but uh, it's it's actually only has a total running time of fifteen three or fifteen three fifty three minutes, and that's including like a little short intro. Um, and that'd be the recently restored. Uh, amusement park by George Romero. Um, so this one, uh, I'll say this because it's obviously you know it kind of teeters at just it's not quite you know a feature length movie, uh, but you could definitely see why. Well, I won't say it's the only reason because I've read there's other reasons, but the, the, the movie almost plays like a, a PSA more than like a fully fleshed out movie. There's a lot of Scenes in it, you could tell that were probably being shot, you know, for like stock footage and, you know, as far as editing transitions and stuff that for the sake of putting it together to release it just ended up being actual scenes in this. So, you know, for those that aren't aware, Amusement Park Space, the synopsis is uh, an old an old man, probably I would say, you know, right around retirement age. Um, he he ends up attending the festivities at a amusement park for a day and comes to find out, you know, that, uh, he's not ready for the, <laughs> for the fast life of the amusement park and all, the uh, comings and goings and the fat, everything going on around it. Now it's Romero. So obviously there's a big allegory going on for, for, you know, how society treats the elderly, uh, how just the world, is not really uh, made to, you know, made to support people 
later in life and it's just kind of how uh, maybe you know the world seen through the eyes of someone that's that's older and it it definitely kind of builds as it goes and i think you know it's it's hard to discuss this or even like review it as a movie just because i you can tell it's a not finished product they did the best they could to put together the available footage to kind of you know make the complete narrative but you, you there's and there's enough there it has the fingerprints all over it that of it being Romero some of the way things are shot uh, you know it, it screams Romero and it, it's a shame that you know you know 20 something years ago he wasn't able to like on the side complete it himself or just you know, if there was any other existing footage for it that wasn't used but I, I think this is definitely worth watching if you are interested you know in some seeing some of Romero's non zombie stuff that's out there this isn't the only thing but um you know romero is pretty much an untouchable legend in my mind so anything um of his that can get released uh, i'm always going to be willing to check out and i think this is a good example of you know him having ideas for stuff that didn't get completed because you know we read stories all the time about things Romero was potentially involved with or ideas that he pitched or just things that just for whatever reason didn't end up getting made. And this is one that kind of was well into being made. And then it was never released and not finished. But uh, if you have shutter, check it out. It's available there. Like I said, total running time, 53 minutes. So it's, it's a very quick watch. Um, Venom, I know your plan is to eventually see, but have you even had a chance to check it out yet? Uh, not yet, no. Even even at that short run time, I just haven't had the free time. But I'll, I'll get to it. I'll probably get to it in the, in the next week or two. Cool, cool. Uh, what about you, Derek? Have you seen it yet? No, because I had to watch the fucking Whelan again, and it's like fucking three hours long. Yeah, that's a long one. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love it. Well, Don't get me wrong. But yep. Yeah. Every minute is awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a movie you have to like sit down and... like. I'm not doing anything for three hours. Leave me alone. Leave me yep. alone. <laughs> yeah, Shut the phone super up. long one. Shut the phone, phone off because Sam will end up tagging me in the chat. Tag bourgeois. <laughs> I tend to do that whenever I watch a foreign horror film for the first time. I mean, whether I think it's going to be good or not, just because if I know I have to read, I know at some point one of the 50 fucking chats that I'm in on Facebook <laughs> is going to ping me. So, yeah, if I'm watching a foreign horror movie I've never seen before, phone is off. Yep. Yeah. Best way to go. <laughs> Either that or I leave it downstairs. There you go. Yeah. If, it, if it's a foreign movie and you're reading subtitles, it feels like doubly important that you're not taking your eyes off the screen um, for obvious reasons. But, yeah, I'll notice that because... I've, you know, I've done it where, you know, you'll answer a text or something and it feels like, you know, only 30 seconds to a minute have gone by in a movie. But if it's anything pivotal, 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 yeah. man, I'm just mispronouncing every word today. But if it's something pivotal and your only way to, to know was by the subtitles, then it's like you just screwed yourself. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. but, like, yeah but, you know, the good thing about the wheel and it flies by. For me. Oh yeah, it doesn't feel three hours at all. It's, it's not like Brimstone where it's like three hours <laughs> and you just wake up and Dakota fans are getting fucked in the ass out of nowhere. Like, what the fuck? Hey, that's <laughs> worth waiting three hours for. 
I don't know. I, I seen her as a little girl. It was, was kind of creepy uh, at first. No, it's true. Yeah, there's certain actresses that, like, I still look at Juliette Lewis as a girl for some reason. Even though she's my damn age, it's like, I, I still see her as, like, that 13-year-old from Cape California. Fe- oh, I thought you were going to say Cape Fear. Oh, yeah, Cape Fear, too. But I, it's not like I found her attractive at Cape Fear. Nero did. He's like, I want you to read sexist to me. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to learn about laws. I go, I'll go with that. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, if that's pretty much it for what we watch, I mean, the only other thing I, I play a little bit more Resident Evil Eight. Um, still enjoying it, and I actually I picked up, although it's still wrapped and hasn't been touched yet. I picked up a copy of uh, The Last of Us Two uh, because Amazon had it on sale for thirty. And I was like, well, you know, I, I've been holding, even though I don't necessarily have time for another game. I was like, if I don't buy it on the sale, by the time I actually am ready, it'll probably go back up. Um, and they released a PS5 patch for it, so I think yeah. now you can do it in the 60 frames. Yeah. So I was like, all right, $30 is cheap enough. I, I've yeah. waited long enough, and now I have it ready for me just as soon as I uh, get to Resident Evil 8. Um, I'm kind of trying to stick to the plan of as far as storyline games go, like I'll still throw on like Mario or Mega Man or something with my kids. Sure. But as far as like uh, the single player campaign where you had to invest time, I'm I'm not you know when I was young I, I don't care I would start five of them at the same time. But now I'm like let me stick to one, get through it, and then I'll move on to the next one. So well for me it's more money. It's like I can really only afford one game at a time if I'm lucky enough to even have sixty seventy bucks lying around. So. I'm solidly, you know, I'm still playing um, uh, Resident Evil as well. I'm still trying to get through that hardest difficulty, that Village of Shadows difficulty. Holy shit. Uh-huh. It's it's insane. I mean, when when low-level enemies can kill you in one hit, it's absolutely insane. So, yeah. Um, uh, so I'm trying to get through that. I'm just getting meticulous with that one because this will probably be my last playthrough, at least for now. And then yeah. I'll probably move on to a next game, um, which actually leads into uh, once we get into the news section, I, I was going to talk a little bit about some of the horror games that were uh, talked about at E3 this year. E3 is finishing up as we speak, as we record uh, the last waning hours of E3 are winding down right now. And uh, yeah, th- there was a couple of horror games that I wanted to bring to the table during the news section. But, you know, I'll wait until Mike officially starts it. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a great transition because uh, that's about time we start the new segment, and it's good. To, yeah, I also was trying to write down some because I, I watched uh, uh, what was it Thursday or Friday? They did like the summer games, summer preview. of gaming. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was good. But yeah, we can just get into it now with the news. So go ahead and tell us about some of the games you uh, seen because I didn't keep up with the whole weekend, so you probably got plenty there to tell oh, yeah. me about. I'm not going to bring up every one because I think there was a total of 16 horror games that were introduced at E3. I'm just going to bring in like the maybe top four or five that were shown or at least the ones that I'm mildly interested in. Uh, the first one is going to be uh, called Back for Blood. 
Um, players of the of the Left for Dead games are going to recognize this once again. It's Turtle Rock Studios, and this is this isn't a true sequel in any way to Left for Dead, but it is. It's kind of like the uh, sentimental sequel, if you will. Um, obviously, same studio. They they're still utilizing the number four in the title, like they always did for Left for Dead. Now it's back for Blood, but it's still uh, basically the same kind of. Um, uh, Gameplay. It's a multiplayer online cooperative first person shooter. Uh, you know, it's basically a horde game. You're just dealing with hordes of zombies coming through uh, any particular area that you're in. And obviously, it's kind of team based in the sense that, you know, you want to work together. Um, there'll be special abilities that teammates can use at the same time. And um, so, like I said, if anybody played Left 4 Dead, um, from what the early 2000s, there was Left 4 Dead, and they did do a sequel, Left 4 Dead 2. Uh, anybody who played those games should be fairly familiar with Turtle Rock Studios and most of the gameplay that we're getting with this one. Uh, this one has a release date of October 8th. Uh, Mike, did you ever play Left 4 Dead? Uh, I actually did. Uh, now, I didn't have Xbox, um, and I know at the time. It was exclusive, but my wife's let me get this correct. My wife's cousin, uh, he had uh, Left for Dead, and I believe he had Left for Dead too as well. And every pretty much every time I was over there, that'd be one of the things we were doing at least for a couple of hours. <laughs> Even if that's not why I went over there, it, we usually would end up playing Left for Dead for a while. Super fun. It, it, it was kind of like the game yeah. that led up to like games like you know the friday the 13th game even uh dead by daylight kind of like the team up and take yeah, on yeah whatever you need I mean, to uh definitely dead by daylight um friday the 13th isn't nearly as frantic as left for dead was and i'm sure back for blood will be um to the point where my wife actually loves first person shooters but she couldn't play this with me um you know she's not the biggest fan of horde games you know where where you're just rushed by you know, hundreds of enemies. Um, it's not really her thing, but I absolutely love Left 4 Dead. Uh, I played the first one a lot more than the second one, but I am looking forward to this one. Oh, and if you question how much I love Left 4 Dead, I actually worked at Turtle Rock Studios after Left 4 Dead 2 came out. Uh, I worked really? there for yeah, I worked there for a few months. Turtle Rock Studios is in. Um, uh, like Irvine, like very Southern California, past Disneyland, past Anaheim, um, down in Orange County. Um, so part of the reason I'm not there anymore was because of the drive, because I was literally driving over 90 minutes each way. And that's without traffic. It was literally like 80 something miles away from my house. So, you know, I needed a job at the time. I was a fan of Turtle Rock Studios. So I went ahead and got the job. But Obviously, that drive was too much, so I ended up getting a job at a Sega studio a couple of months after I started at Turtle Rock. Um, yeah, well, for those of you who don't know, I actually spent 11 years um, professionally in the video game industry, starting out as a QA tester, going up into a project lead. Uh, my final position at THQ was a, a senior outsource project lead where I was basically running um, all the QA testing that was being done by our outsource teams in India and China. 
Uh, most of my time in the gaming industry was at THQ. Uh, I spent nine years at THQ. And then I spent some scattered time, like I said, at Turtle Rock Studios, Sega, and um, Neversoft. Uh, I actually got to work on a Call of Duty game at Neversoft, uh, Call of Duty Ghosts, if anyone remembers that one. Uh, I believe that was the 2014 Call of Duty game. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I loved Left 4 Dead so much. I wanted to work at that studio and I actually got the job and I regretted having to leave because that place was awesome. It's it literally one of the best jobs I ever had uh, as far as the people, um, the company provided us with all the food we could eat. Like literally we had a kitchen that was full of food that was for everyone. So literally you could have three meals there, breakfast, lunch and dinner, never have to spend money on groceries. It was awesome. But aside from that, I mean, just the infrastructure, uh, the the co-workers, everyone there was great. Everybody at every level, right up to the president of the company, were all really cool people to work for, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, um, just to overstate my love of Left for Dead. So I am definitely looking forward to Back for Blood. Um and like I said, that's coming out October 8th of this year. Uh, next game I, I saw the, a trailer for that I thought looked pretty cool is called Dark Fracture. Uh, this one, this one's an indie title. It's a psychological horror game. It's going to be in first person. Um, it doesn't have a release, an official release date yet, but it does have a year of uh, third, uh, fourth quarter 2021. So. Sometime after October, it'll probably be out. But uh, this one looks interesting. You know, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of first-person games, especially... I love first-person shooters, but when you actually put a horror game in first-person, I just feel like the immersion level is just so much higher. And, you know, of course, I play those games with the lights off and, you know, try to really get into it. And Dark Fracture, as I'm watching the trailer definitely looked like something like that that I could enjoy. Um, they didn't really get into a whole lot about the story, so unfortunately I don't know much about what's going on with the story, but um, it's basically, like I said, first-person uh, survival horror. Um, it's going to be kind of dialogue-based. You're going to have a lot of conversation trees and things like that, talking to NPCs. Um, supposedly they talk about the world actually changing, like the game world actually changing as the game progresses based on your choices um, through the conversation tree. So uh, that's about all I know about Dark Fracture. Um, it's coming to us from Twisted 2 Studios. And like I said, it has a tentative release date of fourth quarter 2021. So. Mm. Uh, and uh, oh, and I also meant to mention uh, Dark Fracture is a PC game. It will be available on Steam in oh. late 2021. Yeah, um, the first game I talked about, uh, Back for Blood, is going to be on all consoles and Steam. So that one is going to be cross-platform. Dark Fracture, yes. at least for now, is going to be PC only. It looks like there's no plans. Oh, here we go. Uh, yes, future plans for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. So oh, nice. Later on down the line, we may get Dark Fracture as well. Um, gotta, love, gotta love cross-platform one. Oh. I mean, that's something that I grew up wishing mm -hmm. that would have existed. And now that it's it's pretty normal for a lot of these, like, horde, like, face the horde games, you know, that yep. to be cross-platform. And it comes in handy, too, for me because um, my kids are into Fortnite now. And... <laughs> 
because you have to have an Epic's game account, you can only have one per console. So they have Fortnite on the PS4 and the Switch, and they can still play co-op that way. So nice. thank God for cross-platform becoming more of a, uh, you know, way more common now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, Microsoft is really... Uh, kind of held the torch for cross-platform play between PC and Xbox. I know PlayStation is slowly getting in there as well. Uh, hopefully, in this generation now, the ninth generation of video game consoles, hopefully, you know, that's always the dream of getting all these companies to work together. I Because it's true. You know, Mike has a PlayStation. I also have a PlayStation, but I play most of my games on my Xbox. And we should still be able to play games together. There's no re- the technology is there. Um, it's all just licensing. It's just getting Microsoft and other companies to kind of play together. Sony and Microsoft getting them to play nice is kind of a you know hassle. So um, you know we can dream, but yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Cross platform is definitely the way to go. Okay, next game uh, from E3 is um, a, a sequel. Uh, this sequel, uh, sequel for a RPG that came out, um, I'd probably say what, like six to eight years ago. And the game I'm talking about is Vampire: The Masquerade: Bloodlines Two. So this is a sequel to uh, the first Bloodlines game, was which was actually like the third or fourth game in the Vampire: The Masquerade series. So we're getting a true sequel to Bloodlines, which was a very highly um, critiqued game when it first came out. Uh, I unfortunately never played it. I will be the first one to admit RPGs are not really my thing. I'm more into, you know, just action games. You know, give me a gun, give me a target, and I'm happy. Uh, but my wife plays a lot of RPG games, and she's actually very excited for this one. She played uh, Vampire the Masquerade, the first Bloodlines game, and said that it was probably the best in the Vampire line. So uh, we're getting the sequel. Once again, there's no exact date. Once again, we're looking at fourth quarter 2021. That game's coming to us from Hardsuit Labs, uh, being published by Paradox Interactive. And this will be available on PlayStation 4 and 5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X and S, and Microsoft Windows. Uh, it doesn't necessarily say it's cross-platform so much as it's just available on all of those. So nice. that's, an, that's another good one. And then uh, the last one that I'm going to bring to the table for now, uh, well, actually the second to last one, excuse me. Um, it's a game, uh, once again, a sequel, uh, a lot of sequels at E3 this year. Uh, This game is called Chivalry, um, and of course, this is the sequel, so it's Chivalry 2. Um, uh, This is, once again, a multiplayer online game, but uh, this one isn't really RPG. This one's more hack and slash, uh, for those who don't know hack and slash. um, I know Destiny Warriors was a a game in that uh, genre where basically it's kind of a horde game as well, but usually with hack and slash, it's like swords and hand-to-hand weapons as opposed to guns, as opposed to firearms. Uh So, yeah, so, you know, you're looking at um, third person. It looks from the screenshots I'm looking at, it looks like it's a third person game. Um, Obviously, the title is Chivalry. So, of course, it is kind of, you know, sword and sandal type movie. I'm looking at screenshots of guys in uh, full body armor, like knight's armor, uh, big swords like Excalibur, things like that. Um, As I said, I don't know a whole lot about uh, the Chivalry franchise, but I was really impressed with this trailer. Um, 
they actually had gameplay footage. And that was another thing about this year's E3. For gamers out there, I know a lot of you, when you watch these trailers, you're always questioning, is this gameplay or is this rendered footage? That, you know, and, and it's not actually showing me any part of the game. This year's E3, developers made a point to show as much in-game uh, footage as possible. So all of these trailers that I watched uh, that actually include in-game footage. Those are the ones that I'm talking about because there were trailers for like games that are literally still in like an early stage of development. So there's no actual gameplay to show. Um, Outer Worlds 2 was one of those games. Outer Worlds 2 is a first person game that is going to be very highly anticipated, but we're a couple of years away from that game, but they still felt the need to have a teaser at E3. So no real need to talk about that one until maybe next year's E3. Um, But back to chivalry, Uh, like I said, uh, medieval hack and slash uh, from the screenshots. It looks fun. Uh, we're looking at the developer Tom Banner Studio, uh, Torn Banner Studios, excuse me, Torn Banner Studios, and this game is slated for release on June 8th of this year, and that is for Windows, PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, Xbox One, Series X, Series S, and of course Windows. Um, so if you're into like you know medieval stuff, then yeah, Chivalry 2 looks like the game to go for. And then the last thing that I have uh, to bring to the table is, uh, (laughs) once again, big surprise, another sequel. Uh, This is a sequel to a a beautiful side-scrolling game that came out, I'd say, three or so years ago. And that was called Little Nightmares. So, of course, right now I'm talking about Little Nightmares 2. Um, oh, it really, it, it looks like it just brings a lot of the same story. That's what I can tell from the trailer. Um, once again, still side-scrolling, rendered backgrounds. Um, it's still a beautiful game. Um, for those of you who played the first one, that was a bit, that was a PlayStation exclusive. Um, so it, you could probably find, I, I believe you can buy the first one for $14.99 right now on the PlayStation Store. It's not a huge game, so don't expect like, you know, 20 hours of gameplay. But it is a beautiful game, and it's got an amazing score, and it just looks gorgeous. Um, I didn't finish the first one, uh, but I, you know, I played it for a few minutes, and you know, it, it's really nice, reminiscent of Limbo. But think of Limbo in full color, and that Ooh. might be a little bit more of what uh, Little Nightmares might remind you of. So yeah, anyway, I, 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 I beat the first Little Nightmares, and I actually oh, have nice. the second one on my PS4, and it's just been a matter of not being able to get mm-hmm. to it yet but um the first one yeah it was kind of like take limbo make it even more just it, it's almost like a creepy gross because the farther you get into the yes. game and they start revealing like the the enemies and just it, it it's like a macabre beauty almost because <laughs> it it's pretty crazy looking and uh i hear the second one basically you know um it advances the story and it takes the graphics even to more new levels and i can't wait to get started because i i feel like it was just you know the right mix of um art and platforming and puzzling like it didn't get too crazy in either direction um mm-hmm. but it it was it was a fun time and they're usually rarely inexpensive like maybe 20 bucks yeah 
Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm assuming that they had the trailer at E3 just as a push, because as I look at the, it looks like it was actually released at the end of 2020. Yeah, a, I would assume oh, it's either, I would assume maybe if they're doing like, um, you know, patches for like next gen, it could be something possibly, like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, because currently it is only available on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. It's not currently available for the next gen, I don't think. Here, let me click on this before I say it, that. It could be one of those situations where it might have a patch. Yeah, yeah, or, or like right now it's combat, it's compatible. Like you can port them over, but there won't be any improvements until they actually release like the next gen versions. Yeah, so that's probably mm-hmm. what they were pushing there at E3 because it looked amazing. Uh, the the footage that they were showing just I, I couldn't get over how nice it looked. I thought the game was out already. Yeah, you're right. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. Sounds maybe, like maybe the PS5 alley. and Xbox Series X patch are potentially coming out soon. But anyway, I, I just—it's definitely one that I wanted to bring to the forefront because I think a lot of horror movie fans will get into that. And and all the titles that I brought up today, I brought up specifically because I thought horror fans would really get into them. Um, obviously, Chivalry being a more medieval knight one, I brought to the table just because of its sheer violence. Um, there's some great gore in that one from the shots that I was seeing. But, so, but does it look like Dark Souls? Um, kind of not as good. Dark Souls looks better. Um, but this one, like this one has, uh, like, uh, how can I put it? It almost seems like the camera is closer to the character in show. Uh So you don't see as much of the, the world. Whereas in, uh, in the one you mentioned, yeah, the camera's a little bit farther back from the character. So you can enjoy like the backgrounds more and things like that. It also makes for bigger boss fights, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you get, there's a good mixture there of everything that you every game has like a different type of game that you mentioned so yeah that's cool. I tried, you I like, you like, like I was very interested in the side scrolling one that's usually my foray because uh-huh. I'm a huge fan of like Castlevania style games nice <laughs> very nice yeah, yeah. Well, me too absolutely love it and then uh, not that it's a horror game but the game that they announced that I'm the most excited for. Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. Uh, you would only know who Tiny Tina is if you have played the Borderlands games. Uh, if you've played Borderlands 2 or 3, then you are very familiar with Tiny Tina, one of the most over-the-top, just goofy, silly characters in the game, and she is getting her own title. Uh, like I said, uh, Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. Nothing to do with horror whatsoever. It's just a game that I love and that I'm very excited for, so I figured I'd throw it out there. And that was a surprise. Like, no one knew that we were getting a new Borderlands game. It's technically not a Borderlands game. It's like a spinoff game. But Yeah, exactly. It's a spinoff. It's probably going to be very reminiscent, the screenshots. It has that same cel-shaded art style that the Borderlands games have. So, um, yeah. So if you like Borderlands, we got something to look forward to in the next year. We're not getting that one until uh, 2022, but... But still, something to look forward to. It's the, it's the spiral of the border. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, it better not be. <laughs> I didn't see the spiral yet, but yeah. It better be the Annabelle creation of the franchise. That would be better. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> not comes home and not the first one. No, no, God, no. Uh, <laughs> so you listed off most of, most of the same news <coughs> I had heard from E3, so the only thing I'll really add, kind of to piggyback off of um, the Little Nightmares 2 thing, is from the makers of Limbo and Inside, um, is 
is coming a new game that it looks like at launch it's only going to be on uh, uh, Xbox and PC and it's called Somerville from um, oh yeah yeah I live it, next to Somerville <laughs> <laughs> it looks like uh, it's almost kind of like the next step in like you know the 2D scroller puzzlers like you could tell that their studio is getting bigger able to you know, handle more intricate uh, graphics and capabilities, but it still has the same principles as a limbo or an inside. And basically this game is about a family trying to reunite during a full scale war between humanity and an alien race. So I can imagine all the things you're going to encounter on the levels, but it looks really good. And limbo, man, that was one of those games that was so good. And uh, it, it took a while to come to a PlayStation, so by the time I actually played it, you know, I already heard so much good about it and it didn't it, like it met all my expectations and exceeded them, even though I had already heard about how great it was. Um, and then inside, at least when that came out, it was available pretty much right away. But yeah, with when those are like the first two major games of a studio, you better believe like I'm going to be paying attention to what they make next. And it looks like, you know, from the looks of this, they're picking up right where they left off, and I can't wait uh, to eventually play Somerville too. It looks like it's slated for 2022, so we still have a little bit of a wait. But you know, six months goes by a lot quicker than sometimes <laughs> we'd hope. <laughs> Especially when you're stuck at home. <laughs> yep, not that absolutely. we're stuck at home moving forward. But I used to work in Somerville. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh man, you know, um, you know what game I miss? Uh, it only had a couple of inst- uh, a couple of uh, entries, but I absolutely loved it. Uh, Alan Wake. Did you ever play Alan Wake? Yeah. I Alan fucking loved that game. I ah, I adored it, and they, we never got a true sequel. We got like a DLC type thing, or, or a, um, what do you call it, expansion pack. But I don't think we ever got a true sequel, like an Alan Wake two, and yeah. Uh, yeah, we didn't get that, but we got fucking like six Alone in the Dark sequels and shitty really cold <laughs> movies. Exactly. <laughs> How many House of the Dead games are there? God damn it. Yeah, Alan Wake is one of those games that it, it feels almost kind of like a lost game due to when it came out. Like if something like that was released now, I think it would be like even a bigger hit and it would probably be across all systems because I think it was only ever an Xbox. It might have been PC as well, but I don't think it ever became available on PlayStation. Um, not sure. But, yeah, yeah, and I, I, I never got a chance to play it myself. But watching, I, you know, I saw videos of other people playing it. And I was like, man, this game looks cool. Like I loved I like the, the flashlight lighting d- dynamics of it and all that. Exactly, was, using the flashlight as a weapon against spirits. Yeah, oh, that shit was great. And then as you got deeper and deeper into the game, the mystery like would unravel, and you know, you'd actually find out what was real, what wasn't, blah, 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 your standard horror game, but just something about the gameplay I really, really enjoyed. Like, I didn't think I would like, um, you know, the whole flashlight dynamic, but it totally worked for me, and it it turned out to be legitimately scary. I mean, I I remember that section, there was a section, like, uh, near a river, like, there was, like, a a boathouse type thing. That section was fucking terrifying. <laughs> that one sticks out in my head, but I, I just remember the game overall being great. And yeah, we need to see. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm surprised nothing's actually come out. Um, and I, I guess the only other thing, I mean, Evil Dead game, it's it's not 
new. It's not like it was an announcement, but they just released like a longer trailer and did reveal that. Uh, yeah, they revealed that uh, the evil Ash from AOD is going to be a character in it. So. Well, the big reveal. I thought the big reveal was that you're able to play as multiple people from the franchise. Like yep. there, you could you could play as Ash. You could play as Dana from Ash vs. Evil Dead. You could play as um what else? Um there was there was a character from Evil Dead 2. Oh no, uh the guy with the plaid shirt from Evil Dead 1. Uh the one who got the the puppy dog nose. I think so, yeah. Is that oh, yeah, yeah. Like, not yeah. Ash, but the other guy that had a plaid shirt. The one that got beat up in the after he's like, I'm going to go find help. Exactly, yeah. yes. Kind of like the more asshole of the two. Yes, yeah. yeah, exactly. The more asshole of the two. Perfect description. <laughs> yeah, he's he looks like he's playable. And then, yeah, the trailer ends with evil Ash. So I'm not sure if he's playable or if he's just going to be an enemy in the game. But either way, it, I mean, it looks like it's pretty much the same formula as the Friday the 13th game. You can either be, you know, one of the heroes or you can play and you can play as a deadite. They made that very clear. Um, so I assume that evil Ash is a selectable character or at least unlockable. So but yeah. uh, the game. Oh, Henrietta would be awesome. <laughs> get- yeah. And they're going to have a, um, a Pablo and Kelly from Ash versus evil dead. Yeah. Yes. Yep. They have one of the knights from Army of Darkness. Yeah, it's it's cool that they're covering pretty much the whole franchise. They'll have like fifteen Ted Raimi's. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be great. <laughs> and and something like that when you have like a franchise to draw from, the cool thing is is, is as long as they keep working on the game and like updating it, there's always potential for like more, more unlocking and developing of characters because a lot of these types of games, you know, they make. Um, future money off DLC, so I would be not surprised at all if they have stuff in store. They just don't want to release every character at launch. Oh, definitely, definitely, that makes sense. Oh, but all yeah, right. I mean, it looked it looked very Friday the Thirteenth, but obviously it's very early stages of development, so I'm sure it'll get better. Not to, not to knock it to say that it looks like Friday the Thirteenth, but obviously you don't want to put out the same game with just different characters in it. So. Mm-hmm. And we're getting a new fucking movie, too. Did we mention that? Yeah, that's that's actually part of the news, too, which we I guess we can go right to that news item. Um, Evil Dead Rise is going to be coming out. And I guess the two the two nuggets of this that make it, you know, more newsworthy than just the announcement itself is a it's going to start to HBO Max and B. This is actually going to be following um, the timeline of the original franchise, I believe. Isn't it... Did they say it's going to be taking place after Evil Dead 2? Like, it's not factoring in... Obviously, it's it's not factoring in 2013, but I think it's... Maybe it's like parallel to Army of Darkness, because why Ash is doing this stuff in medieval times. I, I'm not sure exactly how Army... I, like, I'm not sure if it takes place after he would have come back to regular time, or if it's like... Yeah, I remember reading the original article um but i know they said it's based it's a sequel to the Raimi, you know universe of it so i'm happy i'm i mean i'm the hbo max thing i'm kind of like you know if that's the only way to do it or if they you know crunch the numbers and said that's the way we're going to do it fine i'll take it would i still like to see it get some type of 
theatrical release? Hell yes, because like an Evil Dead movie in the theater, you know, with just dead-eyed sounds and the score playing all around you and booming. I mean, that I would still say that's my preferable way to watch it, but... Well, that's ultimately, that's everybody's preferable, play, preferable way to watch it, but the question is, is that franchise, you know, still enough of a moneymaker to put it in theaters? Um, yeah. Obviously, I mean, it's borderline. Army of Darkness didn't do great. Uh, the remake did pretty good, I, I remember, but... It the remake did good, and you would, you know... And the show, obviously, did great numbers for stars. I mean, it was the only reason I subscribed to stars uh-huh. <laughs> just to watch the show. Um, but it's definitely a matter of, you know, because if they put it out in theaters, they have to up the budget. Um, you know, they, they can't do a micro budget evil dead and stick it in theaters. Um, so mm. it would have to be a big budget one, very over the top. And it's a matter of, does Raimi even want to still do that? Does he want to do that big over the top evil dead four that we never got? That's the question. Well, he's not even really directing it. Right, right, right. Exactly. Well, I was actually interested. I, I was very like, really, when they, when I, they announced the director, it's from the director of a movie. We actually, I think we talked about on Fresh Cuts, The Hole in the Ground. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember. Yeah, he's the director of the new Evil Dead. Oh, well, then I'm even more interested, because I loved Hole in the Ground. I remember yeah. saying that that was a director to watch, and I, I haven't really heard much, so good. Yeah. Well, now he will be, he's confirmed that it will be a director we're watching. Oh, let's hope. <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah, I do kind of wonder, too, because I'm like, okay, if it's going straight to HBO Max, you're going to assume, like, a you know a more restricted budget. It's like, oh, man, I hope it's not, like, all CGI. Like, please save some room for at least some practical nah, effects. I think the, the they have to. I mean, it's the Evil Dead. It's, I mean, even the remake had a lot of practical in it. I mean, yeah. yeah. It's part of the DNA of the franchise is practical effects. So they would have to do some, you know, I mean, if they did an entirely CGI Evil Dead sequel, I'm pretty sure fans would rally against it. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but the problem is it'll be right after they watch it. And then HBO is like, yeah, oh, we got your we got your watch. <laughs> we got your streaming. Oh, well, yeah. It's a matter of if anybody subscribes to HBO Max specifically to watch it. That's what they're really looking for. HBO or all streaming services. What they're looking for is the metrics that tell them how many people are signing on to the service specifically because something got released. Like mm-hmm. whenever Stranger Things puts out a new season, Netflix subscription numbers go up. So that's kind of the stuff that they're looking for. So is an Evil Dead sequel enough to get people to subscribe to HBO Max if they don't already have HBO? Eh, it's, a, it's a question to ask the individual, definitely. I mean, yeah. obviously for us, we would, definitely. But, you know, yeah. the, the the average movie fan, are, are they going to subscribe to a fourteen ninety nine streaming service specifically to watch one particular movie, you know? Yeah, I mean, they, they, I, you know, the latest people did it example. for... Godzilla, people did it for The Conjuring, but as, you know, the more direct-to-theater movies that they release on HBO Max, I, I think that's going to be, like, uh, diminishing returns every time. Because even, like, Godzilla did really well, but then Mortal Kombat was the next big one. That one didn't do as well. And then, what, The Conjuring, or there might have been one in between there. Not a horror movie, but another... Uh, it was like a thriller and with Angelina Jolie, which... Oh, things seen not heard. I think is that yeah, it? which I actually yeah. liked. I actually watched that one. Oh, did good. you? It's good. Yeah, 
Good. I'll check it out. But yeah, so that's the thing. It's a matter of uh, diminishing returns from putting these big name movies on there. And, you know, is it worth forcing people to go see it? Because they're not doing the Disney thing. HBO Max is literally putting them out on the streaming service, Mm -hmm. whereas Disney is still charging a pre uh, what is it? A premium 20 bucks, uh, right? Yeah, like 20, 25 bucks. I've never done it, so I'm not sure. But yeah, it's it's at least 20 bucks to watch, like, you know, whatever Disney movie. Right, or in The Last Dragon or whatever the fuck. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that just seems, I mean, mm-hmm. I understand the merits to it, I guess, but I'm just like, well, if I'm paying extra on top of my be at least subscription like fees, I'm just going to go to, like, why would I not go to the theater in that case? At, at least make it 15 since you're playing, paying fucking... Or something. If you're paying fucking twelve dollars, if you get the like the a Hulu, the you know the bundle, what the fuck, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I understand why they're doing it. I mean, cause cause I know people that'll like get um like I I one of my poker buddies actually ordered that Raya and the Last Dragon for whatever it was twenty five bucks, mm-hmm. but he had like twelve people come over. Yeah. So that, it kind of makes it worth it. I mean, twelve people to go to the theater to watch it is obviously going to be a pretty steep price tag, but um, that would be the only way I would get one of those. Obviously, I think for all of us here, we're theater goers. I would, I'd rather watch a movie in the theater. I'd rather watch a movie I've seen fifty times in the theater than watch it at home. So, yeah, I just, I, I love that theater experience. To me, nothing will ever replace it. So all the talk about, you know, over the last year, all the talk about, oh, our theater is going to go away. I knew they were never going away. It's just an impossibility. There's still too many cinephiles like us that prefer the theater experience. So, yeah, wow. I mean, that, that felt like a burning question. I mean, yeah, there's <laughs> arguments that the business model could modify to sure. adjust to different watching trends, but totally going away. I didn't think it was going to happen either. Um. I thought I was going to say something else about HBO Max, but now I can't. Or no, no, what was I going to say? You were uh, bringing up the example of um, them watching like uh, subscription trends. I mean, one of the biggest examples, probably in horror specifically, is you know a smaller service like Shutter. All the added subscriptions they yeah. got when they started the last drive-in with Joe Bob, because he actually he appeals to not just horror fans. It's just all sorts of trash cinema fans across genres have always liked him. And so a service that's bills itself as pretty much a horror streaming service, they throw Joe Bob on there and suddenly, you know, they're breaking the internet the first time it's supposed to air. Mm -hmm. That (laughs) shows them, okay, we invent, we invested, are more limited, you know, obviously they're much more limited in what they can invest resources into than like an HBO or a Disney. So I'm sure when they signed him and started producing their original content, they were crossing their fingers that it was going to pay off. And it looks like so far it has. And it's a good sign though, because that ultimately, you know, as horror fans, when we get a service like shutter, we're going to want them to do that and take chances and, put stuff out there that we can't see other places, but in order for them to do that, they do need the funding. So yeah. of course yeah. they should be knocking at AMC's door. Cause AMC probably has enough money. So it's like AMC start helping shut her out. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. I can see it. All right, then <laughs> uh, moving on. Let's talk about, I guess I'll go to another thing that's remade. Now, we actually, I believe we brought this up 
two or three months ago when it was still kind of a rumor state. It was like a rumor, then kind of like softly denied, and then it kind of went away. But now it's been confirmed. Rob Zombie is, indeed is ma- remaking the Monsters as a movie. Ooh. Um, <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> the Peacock. For Peacock, yeah. Um, yeah. Another streaming service. See, there we go. Uh, is anyone going to sign up P- for Peacock? Well, Peacock's free, free ain't Monsters. it? <laughs> I don't uh, know. No, it's free if you already are subscribed to NBC in your cable package. If you don't have cable, then it's not free. Yeah. Oh, okay. Then I guess oh, it's, it's like HBO Max. Like HBO oh. Max is free to HBO subscribers. Oh, then I get it. Yeah. Yeah, then I need to add yeah. it to my Fire Stick because I, I, I assume that it was something you had to pay for, like, regardless. But if not, yeah, I'll throw it on there. Um, yeah, I, I would say there's not, like, a whole lot to say about this only because we sort of talked about it when it was in the rumor stage. It's just, The thing is, there's so, there's so little details about how he's actually approaching it yet. We don't even know, like, what he's necessarily doing with the content like if he's gonna try to keep it a comedy or if he's going hardcore i i don't know so it's like we can guess based on his body of work but sometimes you do you know why even pontificate on that and then a month from now we're totally wrong about everything we thought so until more details come about you know at the very least i mean i i I'm going to guess that it's not going to be, you know, the devil's rejects with Herman Munster by any stretch. I mean, <laughs> Rob, Zombie, Rob is a fan of the show. He He's famously said how much he loves the monsters. I mean, he has Dragula, for God's sakes. Um, and, um, and, and this movie is a movie that he's been trying to make for, what, like 20 years or something. He's been pitching this movie and everything. So there's obviously a lot of love there. I am not a big Rob Zombie fan. Uh, I, I'm sure most people figured that out by now. Um, but I'm still looking forward to see what he does. What I'm not excited about is the casting. Not that they've made any announcements about casting, but we know where the casting is probably going. I mean, <laughs> should we just start guessing right now? Sherry Moon Zombie as Lily, Bill Mosley as either Herman or Grandpa. Um, Richard Brake as Eddie Munster. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Maybe Sherry Moon will be Marilyn, but then that would be too normal a role, wouldn't it? Yeah. They have have fucking Priscilla Barnes or some fucking bullshit. Oh, fucking Lily. Go get Barbara Crampton in there somehow. (laughs) <laughs> well, see, that would be acceptable. See, now we're talking except I'm just worried that we're just going to get the same old cast that we get in every Rob Zombie movie. And it's going to detract from the movie because if Bill Mosley, like, let's just say Bill Mosley plays grandpa or something. He's just jerking off in the corner. Well, no, absolutely not. <laughs> but the problem is, every time I look at him, I am going to see Otis Driftwood. I'm not going to see or Grandpa. Top, yeah. That's what I'm worried about. Or Chop Top, yeah. So. You, know, you know who seems like he would have made a good grandpa, even though it's impossible because he passed away, is the actual guy who played the grandpa in House of a Thousand Corpses. I can't oh, remember his name. Yeah. Yeah, he would have made a really Michael, good guy. Michael Pollard from the beginning of uh, House of a Thousand Gorges. Oh, yeah. Dick. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah he would have been good. I'm, yeah, and of course... He have a seven-foot guy in there, if but he, unfortunately, has also passed away. Michael oh, Sid Haig passed away. Yeah, oh, it's Sid like... Haig. Oh, <laughs> William Forsythe will play Wolfguard. Ah, William Forsythe. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he'll be Herman. Oh, God. 
He's like, fuck, you, fuck you, Eddie. Get to your room now. Get to your fucking room or I'll skull fuck you. Some shit oh, like that. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, God, that's all we need is to see Grandpa, like, molest fucking Marilyn or something. <laughs> yeah, this, this is the fear. This is the fear with Rob Zombie because he's, you know, he's never made a comedy, right? So it's like... You know what is his, what is Rob Zombie's sense of humor like? Like, are we gonna find out that he's just completely fucking twisted? And you know, I don't know. I'm I'm just so worried it's gonna be House of a Thousand Corpses too. Yeah. And as long as it's not, then I should be okay. And like I said, the casting is gonna be big. I don't usually pay attention to casting news. For this one specifically, I will be. Well, because if you if you look at the um to take something like a similar property and see how it was done. If you look at the Adams family and Adams family values movies, I felt that was like a good job of you're kind of reining things into where it's, it still feels like the Adams family of old, just kind of updated with new cast, but it's, it still feels like everyone in the movie are playing the same type of characters. Um, and you know, they, they gave them just a storyline that you could do in a movie instead of a show. And then Adam's family values, they did a great job with like the, you know, the kids going to summer camp and how that would, uh-huh. it, it, it felt like it kept in the spirit of what the show was doing and found a way to update it, you know, more modern with a new cast, but it didn't feel like they're like, which I feel like Rob Zombie has a habit of doing where, He'll go on a big monologue. Oh man, I this is a property I love, and you know how I'm going to show you how much I love it by totally changing it because <laughs> because yeah. this is the way. I, and it's like I understand the POV of like okay, let's do a different angle on certain things, and that's cool. I understand it because he's not like the first person to do that in a remake. Yeah. I just feel like it's some of the aspects that he changes. Sometimes it's just like well. If if that's what you think should be changed, then how much did you love it originally to begin with? Because I don't understand how you changed that aspect if you loved it so much. But yeah, you know, I've been I've I've been down that road many times discussing this, so I didn't want to go off too much and make this a bigger news item than it is because everyone kind of already knew this one was coming. But yeah. it's just now that it's been confirmed. I'm just waiting for the scene where Lou Temple just walks in the monster's house and just starts raping people. Oh no. <laughs> terrible Uh yeah i mean you mentioned you mentioned the casting multiple times uh when you were just now when you were talking about adam's family see that movie benefited from great casting that's why i'm looking forward to the casting announcement for this one because i feel like this movie could be made or broken by its cast because i think adam's family like i said that cast is brilliant uh, they put to, they they brought together some absolutely great actors for that. Yeah, for a silly little movie too. I mean, the Adams family's not the Godfather, you know. They put together this silly little movie, but they got this awesome cast, and that's why those movies are watchable. Let's yeah, see what I, Zombie does. Yeah, the thing with the Adams family movies that I love is Sunfield, Barry Sunfield adds yeah. a lot of the heat. You can see that he's adding stuff from the show, but he's making it his own, too, in the sense where I love Barry Sonnenfeld. Most of them, Wild Wild West could go fuck off. You yeah. know, <laughs> he's awful. But I love his visual style because he was a cinematographer beforehand. He worked with the Coens. He was the Coen Brothers cinematographer for their few, first few films, like Blood Simple and shit. And 
he uses some of the same shots from like Blood Simple and Adam's Family. It's kind of nuts. And he, you know, he did. He was the cinematographer Misery. He he has a very visual sense. I always love when cinematographers become directors. You know, uh-huh. uh, but the thing that I like about him, he doesn't write his own scripts either. Rob Zombie had somebody else write the monster script. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I was thinking like it might be too on the nose because she would, she already played Wednesday Adams, but I thought Christina Ricci might make a good Lily monster. And then I thought maybe Alexander Daddario, but she might be just too young to, because depending young. on, yeah, yeah, depending on the age of the cast. Oh, she's in that movie though. Her tits are have to come on the screen then. Because <laughs> her tits are amazing. She's going to have to release those monsters. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, because, but like I said, it's like I have no idea what the storyline, like it could be, you know, well, what would the monsters be like if uh, it was the 70s? <laughs> like, yeah, I, that'd be like if it was head. the 70s and it was Texas. It would be Monsters Go Home. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't that a 70s TV? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, actually I had the know. Blu-ray come in the mail with a commentary by Rob Zombie. Oh, God. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, that news item got more life out of it than I expected. So yeah, well, I mean, we'll speak more on it as more details come. Yeah. Which I would, I wouldn't, uh, you know, I, I would, I would expect them to start rolling out soon because. Are, are you talking um, about Christine next? Since we're in the remake territory. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's pretty much all my news items is remakes. Uh, so yeah, the last one I got is the Christine remake being announced that Brian Fuller will be directing. I can't remember if they said he's writing it too, but um, yeah, the remake of Christine. Now, when I read this news, I mean, my initial thoughts were why, but ultimately I kind of wish like, you know, when you look at the Christine story, how does Christine begin? Or well, not the, I guess the, the movie begins a certain way, but the thing that the book and the movie both have in common is pretty early on when they go looking, uh, Arnie goes to that old guy's house, right? Christine's sitting there all wrecked to me, a more interesting story than just doing a remake of Christine is like, why don't you write about, uh, what Christine's previous owner, how did it go from him owning Christine and whatever, you know, led the brother to, his fate to Christine just being broken down in the yard because I think that would be kind of more interesting than just doing Arnie Cunningham's story again. Now with that said, it's another case where we have no idea. I mean, they're calling it a remake now. Who knows? Maybe a month. It's a re-adaptation. It's this. Yeah. So anyways, what, I mean, what are your guys thoughts? By now, remakes are a normal thing, so it's kind of hard to do the same old rant on remakes. It is what it is, but this specifically, any thoughts? Well, I actually listened to the Brian Full episode where he covered Christine on the King cast, and and I actually read the book, and the book is totally different than the Carpenter movie. Well, the ending is for sure, yeah. And majority of it is, Michael. (laughs) Uh, He wanted to express on that show that he wanted the original ending, which I can see happen in this one. And also kind of the more emphasis that Arnie's not actually obsessed with Christine himself, but he's getting possessed by the actual former owner, which happens in the book. Uh Uh-huh. 
which I can see being an interesting new look of the, you know doing that story because it's never been done before, especially for the time. And he's a fan. He's a fan of the original novel. As I, I said, he covered a show on Christine. He loves the Carpenter movie too. So you know, it, it's not like he just. It's ironic that he actually got a chance to do it because that episode came out a few months ago before this news came out. Uh, I'm curious on it. I'm not going to... You know, it's that read-adaptation. There's been adaptations of novels all through the years. There's like fucking 15 versions of Moby Dick, for Christ's sake. You know, fucking let somebody else... I'm I'm curious on it. You know, I'm going to judge it when it comes out and Mm -hmm. watch it then. But for this now, I'm just curious, you know? Well, yeah, I would say the good thing is... A, a killer car itself is a, I would say, it lends itself better to a digestible uh, like remake as opposed to like, you know, a, a, like a slasher icon actor or actress or someone that is really like recognizable and that it doesn't feel right when someone else is playing the part. But a killer car, whether they keep the same exact model car or not, it's so it could be a killer car movie, I guess, in a way. But, you know, it's really going to come down to the quality of the movie, which usually it is. I mean, the problem, a lot of times the problem with remakes is when they're not as good, then it feels like as pointless. And I don't even mean like not, it doesn't have to be 100% as good, but sometimes they're just so bad or mediocre, I would say, that it's like, what was even the point of doing this in the first place? But, Venom, uh, you got any thoughts on this? I mean... <clears throat> we all know I'm not a fan of remakes, reboots, things like that. Not to say that there haven't been some great ones. I understand that. But I- I'm just one of those people that, you know, every time I hear news about a remake or a reboot, it just it makes me feel like originality is just a little bit more dead in Hollywood. Um, I, you know, like I said, I-, I go into every remake, reboot with the same amount of trepidation. You know, I'm hoping it's good. Um, no matter how good or bad the remake is, it's never going to change the way I feel about the original, whether it's something I love or I hate. It's not likely going to change that. I'm not one of those people who says, oh, the remake ruined the original. No, No. the original will always be the original. Nothing can ever change that. So um, I'll watch it. I love Christine. I absolutely adore that original film. It's it's it was so different for me in the early 80s. Um, You know, the only other kind of living car was uh the what the charles bronson movie the car um yeah which was from a, a few years earlier um so it was different it was new i liked arnie i liked his story um i, I, I there's not much about the original movie i don't like i mean i i, I really really enjoy it so as as normal i'll go into the remake with some trepidation i'll try to curb my expectations um, and we'll just see. I mean, I'm, I'm going to give it a chance. It's not like I'll ever just shut a movie out. You know, I mean, if I, if I'm going to sit and watch the monsters, then there's no reason for me to not watch Christine. So yeah, oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm way less excited about the monsters than Christine. That's for sure. But, um, and like I said, it's more because of my relationship with the property. I, like I said, I saw Christine in theaters. I absolutely loved it. I think I ended up seeing it two or three times in theaters 
Um, obviously, you know, with my mom, since I was underage at the time, um, for rated R films, but yeah, uh, like I said, we'll see. I'm, I'm just going to say I'm not excited, but I will watch it. That's about the best thing I can say. Yeah. That's, that's usually my same approach. Like I'm not like, I don't, I don't necessarily get mad about remakes like I did, you know, 20 years ago. I, I, I just more have an indifference. Like, I, I get, I get kind of like confused, not confused, but I don't understand like why every time a remake's announced, there's people super excited and people mm-hmm. super mad. Like to me, I feel neither of those anymore. I'm just like, well, I'm not surprised it's happening. Am I crazy excited for it? No, but when it's out i'm gonna check it out to see what it's all about and that's pretty much all you can do at this point like i i don't have a moratorium on watching remakes or anything like that that's to me that's just a silly evil dead will always be the example that i go to when they announced the evil dead remake in like 2011 or 12 i was very adamant that i wasn't happy i'm like well what the hell why are you taking one of the greatest horror films ever made and turning it into this glossy Hollywood machine doubt movie. But then I go to see it and I fucking loved it. And I, <laughs> and, and it was my number one movie of that year. It's literally one of the only times that a remake has been my number one favorite horror film of the year. So yeah, go figure. It, it, happens. it happens. It happens. Yeah, absolutely. But I, same thing. And, and then I, I, I feel that way with sequels too. Don't think it's just reboots and remakes. Sometimes with sequels, even um, like with Dr. Sleep, I was not happy about Dr. Sleep. I'm like, the shining does not need a goddamn sequel. And then guess what? The Dr. Sleep comes out and I fucking love it. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I try, I curb my enthusiasm as much as I can. Let's go. with that. Yeah. It, See with Doctor Sleep for me, it wasn't it wasn't so much that I felt like The Shining didn't need a sequel, but and and granted, I'll say it front, I, I haven't read the Doctor Sleep book, so uh-huh. I'm operating as someone who just kind of knew the general story of Doctor Sleep, and it just seemed like a very hard story to adapt, and because it you know it's Stephen King kind of going, he's definitely. Uh, expanding the scope of kind of like the world the shining takes place in and all this other stuff and I was like man it feels it kind of it kind of gave off the same vibe of like how do you adapt a comic book into a movie and sure. contain it that's when you get Mike Flanagan in there though yeah yeah well, <laughs> well you gotta well, think he, he 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 made a movie of one of the most unfilmable Stephen King books ever Gerald's Game yep yeah, I mean, well, I I would, didn't question the ability to direct. It's more, I don't, I don't know, did he do any well, you're of, like the adaption? I mean, ultimately, you're following up a Stanley Kubrick film. Kubrick is undeniably one of the greatest directors ever, you know, and so it's one of those things that going into it, I'm just like, I, I don't know what to do. Like, I I can't have high expectations, but I don't want to go in with no expectations either, because again, we have a good cast. We have a good director who's already established. I mean, we already all loved Flanagan for the most part before Dr. Sleep. Um, But there's still that trepidation, man. There's still, I mean, you're talking about the goddamn Shining. Uh, You know, you're literally one of the greatest movies ever from one of the greatest directors ever. Uh, And that's where my kind of lack of uh, excitement was coming from. Not that I didn't want to see it. 
because it, it, I always said that if someone could do Dr. Sleep correctly, I would love to sit through it. But mm-hmm. I still was just very distrustful going in. So, uh-huh. yeah, Evil Dead and Dr. Sleep are my two big examples of not being excited to see a remake or a sequel, but then being completely blown away. The, so. the one I point to, I mean, Dr. Sleep is definitely definitely an example, too, for me. Um, Evil Dead, I'm not as high on it as you. I, like, I didn't think it was bad or anything, but um, the one that I, I point to that really blew me away in having the opposite feeling star is born right (laughs) god no that well this one yeah when it was announced this one i was like what but then when i saw it i was like okay you guys did an excellent job was uh the maniac remake like i Uh, i was expecting little to nothing when they announced that and then i was like wow they Oh, you hate the Maniac remake? Oh, oh thank you, Derek. Oh, thank you. I wasn't going to say anything. I don't like the Maniac remake. Over-fucking rated. I'm sorry. Oh I, it is incredibly overrated to me. I will never, ever be able to buy Elijah Wood as a serial killer. It just, I think it was very poor casting. I, and I know a lot of people actually love him in that role and that's fine but i just remember watching it maniac is a dirty sleazy little nasty movie like it's the kind of movie that you need a shower after you're done watching it and with yeah with the 2012 (laughs) maniac i literally felt nothing like i'm watching it and i'm like okay you're going through the paces okay and like i said i just can't accept elijah wood in that role He's way, I mean, you know, no homo here, but he's way too handsome to play that role. Think about Joe Spinell in that role. I mean, it it was almost perfect casting. He was a loner. He wasn't attractive to women, blah, blah, blah. Uh, But then they throw in Elijah Wood, and it's like suddenly it changes the story a little bit. Yeah, that whole, like, weird, like, romance thing that's in the original looks even more weirder in the remake because he's, like, a hot dude. I don't. Yeah, let, let, let me I, let me I, let me just say I don't hate the remake. I, I I don't think I hate it as much as Derek does, but I will say that whenever I hear someone praise it, I just scratch my head like, what is praiseworthy here? But again, differing opinions. I respect everyone's opinion, um, no matter how much it aligns with mine or doesn't. And Maniac is one of those ones that I'll always be. Uh, I'll always be the voice of dissension for that one. As much as people love it, I don't like it at all. I I agree with the original, how it was like a scummy, dirty. I would suggest you need to shower like halfway through it. You can't even wait. (laughs) I I thought kind of like the point of what they were doing in the remake was instead of taking that angle that they were purposely trying to almost do more of like the American psycho thing where to Mm -hmm. the outward public, the character appears as like a normal everyday, you know, whatever citizen, but he has the problems behind closed doors. Like they were just doing a different kind of take on it. Sure. Um, so that's why I thought Elijah would, was cast. I don't know. But the thing is that whole fucking POV fucking style fucking, you know, like why am I, I should have just be watching a fucking Sean, like a found footage movie, you know, like, (laughs) 
Yeah. You know, like, I can't watch the whole movie. Like, Hardcore Henry. Hardcore Henry. Oh, yeah. You know, you, you know I was like, what the fuck? I, I watched that in, like, three different sittings. I, I couldn't sit through the whole thing. It's, like, too much. Because after a while, I kept reaching for a controller. It's like, I'm playing a game here, right? No. Yeah. What the hell? I need the options menu. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I need to reload. <laughs> I, I know you sounded harsh. You know, I... There's some aspects of the Maniac remake I do like, but I don't blow it like a lot of people do. Oh, I'll, I'll be I'll be dissentient, uh, dissentful on that one. I I just I watched it once when it first came out. I didn't like it. I gave it a second chance a few years later, and I couldn't even finish it. So yeah, yeah the, it's the, not a bad film. It's a well-made film, very well performed, well written. I don't have any technical problems with it as far as yeah. the filmmaking aspects. It's just I, I thought it was miscast, and I just thought it was way too like glossy and shiny. It's like if, if you want to tell that story in a different way, don't call it Maniac. That's what I mean. You are making a remake of a film, and yeah, you have the prerogative to make it as different as you want, and that works sometimes. It genuinely does. But just for me personally, I thought Elijah Wood was way too much of a normal-looking dude for that role. Um, his psychosis didn't make a lot of sense in that movie, as opposed to Joe Spinell and the, the abuse from his mother and everything else. It uh, just it, it didn't hold the weight that the original did with me. Yeah, like I uh, said, it's not a bad film. I just don't like it very much. Uh, honestly, I think he just was in the role because he. I think he was just getting typecast because he did Sin City, like I think the year before, where he played a. Yeah, a I, I loved him as Kevin in Sin yeah. City. I yeah. loved that. <laughs> okay. If he was just playing it like that with the glasses and the smiley face the whole time, maybe I would get behind it. <laughs> and the claws. The fingernail claws. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Um, How the hell did we get to Elijah Wood? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, well, as far as news, that's all I had. Did either of you guys have any I have, news? I items? have one thing. It's not really... It's, well, it, it's a director who's... He's talked about in our circles. Uh, Gaspar Noe has a new movie coming out. Uh-oh. Called Vortex. It's classified as a drama, but the reason why I should bring this up is who the main star of this movie is. Dario Argento. He's the star. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's a... Uh, let me look it up. Yeah, Gaspar Noe's movie just... A surprise movie is going to Cannes called Vortex, and it stars it's like a documentary style with starring Dario Argento as the lead role. Uh, he said he's taken influence from French New Wave and the Italian giallo horror genre, which Argento is the main star uh, force of that. So, yeah, uh, Gaspar Noe's that kind of director where. He even admits that most of his films are not horror films, but the way he makes some decisions in his filmmaking, I can see why people would want to talk about them in our circles, because Irreversible has one of the most uncomfortable mm. scenes ever to watch in film. And, uh, yeah, that, that deserves to be talked about in our circles. And, uh, yeah, he makes, yeah, Love. Love is a fucked up movie. It's just a giant porno. <laughs> in 3D. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, and Climax, I is we actually were talking about that off here. 
I know a lot of people. Yeah, I can see why people in our circles would. You know, it has an anxiety level with some of the scenes. Sure. It's even Gaspar Noe himself admitted in an interview, actually, I'm actually stealing this from Jamie because she said it on the A24 show. He even said that's not a horror movie. But there's scenes in it that I could see why people would want to classify sure. and talk about his films because they might. Re- he makes films that he wants people to react to. And it's mm-hmm. either a positive reaction, like a Duncan McLeish, or a negative reaction, like a Dan Chase. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, he's a polarizing director, and, you know, I'm kind of just interested in this, just because Dario Argento is the main star of the movie. <laughs> Definitely. So, yeah, it's an interesting casting, for sure. I'm going to be like, it was easy. You know, I make my daughter get raped on film. Yes, you know. <laughs> I speak perfect English. I remember when I read that, and I, I did a double take, because I was like, okay, Argento's cast, wait, what? He's the, like the main actor yeah. in it? I was like, what? <laughs> I'm just curious on that. You know, I'll, I'll, I, I watch all his movies anyways, because I like his films. But, yeah, it should be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to it. Let's picture and fucking, uh, fucking Argento. Excuse me, excuse me. <laughs> like the guy in Euro Trip. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all I got, my guy. I just thought it was like, you know, it's kind of horror related, even though it's like a drama movie. But whatever, I'll still check it out. Uh, all right, the cool. only thing, uh, only thing I got is just a quick point to make out, uh, just to let everyone know. A Quiet Place 2 is officially now the first post-pandemic movie to make $100 million at the cinema. So, congratulations, John Krasinski. Yay. Can't wait to see him back with Jack Ryan. Oh, right. That'll be coming back, too. Yeah. 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 um, Yeah. And it looks like between... uh, the, oh, actually, I don't. Maybe we talked about it on that episode of Fresh Cuts because it had already been announced that yeah, called Quiet Place Three is happening. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. It it looks like what they're leaning towards though is more of I don't necessarily want to call it a spinoff, but more like a different family or I don't even know if it's a family, but other characters in the in the same yeah, yeah. timeline. I, I heard it's a prequel. A prequel in the sense oh, that it takes prequel. place before oh. the first. Quiet Place movie, not like they're. I don't think they're gonna do day one again, like they did at the beginning of the new one. But I think it's gonna be like a, like you said, another family, another another set of uh, protagonists. But um, that takes place before the first movie, for whatever that's worth. I mean, these people don't know each other, so I don't think they'll be. I mean, like I can't imagine Krasinski and um, uh, what's her face Blunt will be in it, but we'll see. Yeah, Cillian Murphy, bring him. Oh yeah, he did great. He's actually the high point of the new one. I I was really yeah. looking forward to more Emily Blunt, but they actually kind of subdued her role and gave uh uh yeah what's his face uh, a, a way bigger role, and I actually liked it. I, it's, I actually, it's, actually it's actually interesting. It's actually interesting because that's like his first movie that he ever like. Well, the the first one that we ever recognized him from was Twenty Eight Days Later, and right. that was like a post-apocalyptic zombie movie and he's this is like the genre that he started in kind of yeah, coming back yeah. to his roots kind of there you go <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah definitely looking forward to see 
how they do it. And, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll see. Cause I mean, to the credit of the quiet place movie so far is like, they both kind of packed an emotional impact. I would say the first one much more so than the second yeah, one, definitely. but, um, it's kind of a thing with the quiet place movies. So they're definitely going to have to, you know, ideally write out a story and, Hopefully, you know, it's not just a rehash with a new family where they try to do everything the same. So kind of interesting to see where they where they go with it. But they definitely have like a hot property on their hands. So I'm not Robert surprised Eng- at all that they're still making them. Robert England in Quiet Place 3. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to play the main Death Angel. Yeah. <laughs> He'll reveal himself in the in a nightmare. It's, it's all been a dream. Oh, God. The first two movies, all a dream. Never happened. That's how I wanted my original ending of Lost to be, where it was all Gilligan's nightmare. <laughs> Come on, it would have been way better than the fucking ending that we got. <laughs> and he calls the skipper right away. I had a crazy stream. Yeah, it would be like Newhart, but with Gilligan and the skipper. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot Newhart did that. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, if we can pass on from the news now, we'll get right into this burning question. This is the actual burning question now, folks. Yeah, we just did one. Yeah. This one's kind of come up because we've already had, like, many conversations about it on Fresh Cuts just because we've dealt with the movies um, that sometimes fall in this category. And... It's not that um, these types of movies that they're they're necessarily a new phenomenon, but I think in the past year and a half with the pandemic and movies continuing to get made uh, during it, combine that with the fact that we've relied a lot more on VOD releases, whether they were already planned to be VOD or they got pushed to VOD. And we've seen, you know, a, a side effect of that is we've seen a lot of movies come out that are kind of shorter than your typical, you know, 90 minute prototype. And I'm not just talking about like 87 minutes. I'm talking like anywhere between like 70 and 82 minutes. Uh, That's pretty, you know, much shorter than what you expect on feature length movies these days. Now I know, I think what the official, in order to be feature length, what's the official thing, like 70 minutes or something like that. I know Don said it on a fresh cuts once. I, I thought it was 60. I thought it was an even hour. To be considered a feature, it had to be, be over an hour. Fifty-five. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I could, I yeah, that could be. Yeah, because what do you think um, Frankenstein is? You know, Frankenstein's like an hour long. Yeah, mm-hmm. sixty-five minutes. Or, yeah, a lot of those older, older ones were. Yeah, like the that. original Maniac was only like an hour and five minutes. Not not Spinel. I mean, the nineteen thirty something Maniac. I know what you when you're talking about. I yeah, I, oh, wait, he fucks that cat up in that movie. Oh yeah, <laughs> that movie. Uh, I mean, that movie is like from I forget the exact year. It's like the late twenties, early thirties. But that movie has like some legit gore, and it has one of the first nude scenes ever in a movie. Like a, a woman actually gets not gets naked by choice. Somebody tears her clothes off. But yeah, yeah, it's like the earliest nude scene I remember seeing. <laughs> And then there's some weird ones like fucking Nosferatu's like two hours long. Like how the fuck is the people watch that for two hours? Silent movie. Like what the? I, fuck? I would feel yeah. bad for the orchestra because you know when yeah. that movie first came out, they had live orchestras playing with the movie. Yeah. Uh, they would have to sit there and play for two hours. Oh, that would suck. <laughs> for sure. 
I mean, it's not like they're playing heavy metal or anything for two hours, but still. Unless you're uh, fucking Giorgio Morato's Metropolis. There you go. So. <laughs> or yeah. Typo Negatives Nosferatu. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> um. So yeah, I mean, the basic question was just like, like, what are your guys' thoughts on these shorter movies? And you know, we since we've seen a trend of, it seems like a higher number of them lately. You know, I know for some people it's like they'll see a movie only being like 70, 75 minutes and scroll on by thinking, oh, it's it's no good because it's that short. But I've actually found like in the past year that there's a good number of these shorter movies that are plenty fine at being that length. And you kind of get the feeling that like the story only really lended itself to be that long and if they would have tried to push it to like 90 minutes there would have been too much filler or just they would have ran out of ideas or ways to you know uh fill or or fluff the story and i i think you know i've become very much open to it It, it's funny because as a young horror fan when i was first getting into it like i it was like the opposite i when i first started discovering like the longer length movies i was like all into it like I want to see all all these like two hour movies with these rich, huge stories that take a long time to develop. And I don't know if it's because being older and sometimes I just have less time. But when I, when I read a synopsis of a movie and it interests me and then I see, Oh, it's between 70 and 80 minutes. I get a smile. I'm like, yes, I can throw this on literally right now and be done with it. You know, with plenty of day still left to do other things. And, um, I, I I think that might be a byproduct too of like you know we talked about that with in the earth um, stuff taking place during the pandemic you know limited resources if you were gonna be determined to make a movie uh, you do what you can do and sometimes that means shorter length movies um, I think that movie on Shutter uh, what was the one that oh God why can't I it it was host or hosts yeah host is like fifty three minutes. Yep, yeah, my favorite movie of the year this year is only 84 minutes. So um, to answer your question, Mike, I have no preference whatsoever. Um, I don't know that I've ever had a preference, to be honest. I, I don't remember a time in my life um, actually even looking at the duration of movies before I watch it. I do that now, um, only just more for time management. Like you said, it's really just more a matter of how much time in the day. Uh, you know, an adult with a full time job and a family, you know, how much time are they going to have to watch movies? So I see the allure in the shorter movies, but I also just don't really have a preference. Like if I see a two and a half hour long horror movie, I'm not scared. You know, I I still want to get if I have the time and I'm not in a hurry to do something else or, you know, I need to leave the house in 90 minutes, whatever the case may be. As long as I don't have anything physically restricting me from watching a two and a half to three hour movie. I'll happily do it Um, because most times long movies do have enough story to fill it. You know, it's not like you're watching a three hour movie and there's only really an hour of story and then the rest is just filler. That that's Mm -hmm. not the norm. So, you know, especially when it comes to like the kind of like the A24 style of horror movies that we've been getting over the last like, you know, five to 10 years, if it's two, if it's a two, four and it's two and a half hours, I'm excited. Like I I'm actually like, yeah, all right. Awesome. But then, like I said, my favorite movie this year is also an a two, four movie and it's 84 minutes. 
Um, the story, you know, it just didn't have as big a story to tell, but I think that they nailed the story that they had to tell. You know, they gave us everything that I needed to see anyway. So, yeah, uh, like I said, no major preference on time. I- I'm almost the opposite of you in the sense that if I see the longer duration and I know that either it's a good studio or it's a director that I love, um, that actually will get me to smile more now and be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Awesome. I'll do two and a half hours. I mean, you know, House House that Jack built, you know, when that came out, I saw that in the theaters. I knew it was two and a half hours going in. Yeah. You know what? I I knew that it was probably going to be a pretty damn good movie. I mean, that director has quite the track record. So, <laughs> of, yeah. you know, Antichrist is one of my favorite movies ever. So, yeah. I'm yeah. Very on board. Yeah. To, I mean, do you kind of agree with that point you're making? Like, I think for me, it's... With certain movies, like if it's a like uh, with Ar- like an Ari Aster movie, Aster, mm-hmm. Eggers, Peel, um, Lars von Trier, there's certain directors um, where I have enough faith in them that if they're coming out with like a two two and a half hour movie, that it's going to be a pretty rich and rewarding story. Mm-hmm. I'm not so much worried about them because they. They have, you know, even though a handful of them are still young in their overall career, they have enough of a reputation built up with me that like, okay, basically what I'm going to get, I'm going to get rich, developed characters that I'll probably care about at some point, which is going to make anything that happens in the third act that much more impactful. So with them, I don't really have any hangups. I think it's more um, just general, you know. Sometimes when there's stuff that's coming out in the theater that, okay, this should be probably like a fun 90 minute popcorn movie and it's closer to two hours. That's where I kind of get a little worried. Like, okay, uh, does it need to be that long? Yeah. Like if Terrifier 2 comes out and it's two and a half hours, I will question that. Definitely. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And I think when I was younger, I was the opposite. I, you know, I would get like OCD about movies. Like I I would, I, I think what I would do is I try to compartmentalize like the movie without having seen it. And I would say like, okay, this movie is like 85 minutes. Um, am I even going to get like a good story or characters before it's like already in the third. And the funny thing is none of this, it was all just like stuff in my head because I, it would never really prevent me from watching stuff. Cause when all said and done, I watch movies all lengths it doesn't necessarily matter in the grand scheme of things i think it was i think it was just more how i've seen like myself change as far as um ahead of time thinking about running times but ultimately like you said a good movie is going to be a good movie you can always after the fact critique like little things like oh well maybe they could have cut a little bit from it but i don't think any two and a half hour movie made i would think is bad just because it's two and a half hours like it would it might already i might already have a negative opinion and then it's amplified because it's like two and a half hours of not being good but like something like a midsummer or hereditary it's like no they i loved all two and a half hours or however long they were and i wouldn't i wouldn't cut pretty much anything yeah, thankfully, you know, there aren't uh, most two and a half, two over two hour movies are, you know, at least in my experience, are going to be usually, you know, uh, more enjoyable. 
um, as far as like the quality of the film, performances, writing, things like that. Not every two and a half mo- hour movie is Suspiria. Thank God. I'm sure I just pissed off so many people, but I don't care. I, don't I mean, that's that's the movie I'm not high on that I always get yelled at by people yep. about how awesome well, it is. And I'm well, like, well, no. Well, the problem is it's just a fucking old dude walking for half the movie. That's what I mean. They added an hour just to add a character that we didn't need to it. I'm not saying that it was necessarily a bad sub story or that the character itself was bad. I'm saying they literally created a character for A, to pad the time and then for B, to give uh, Tilda Swinton something else to do, because apparently being the lead in the movie wasn't enough for her. She had to be two leads. Well, she's actually like four leads. Oh, well, that's right. She, that's right. She played more than the two. But <laughs> yeah, uh, just I, I, that's what I mean. Like I watch the movie, and I don't know—is is that pretentious, or am I just being too judgmental? Um, so I'm kind of on the fence there. But yeah, regardless, uh, Suspiria remake. The dance sequences were cool, and that final scene was pretty cool. But otherwise, uh, two and a half hours was way too long for that movie. In my opinion. The only thing I liked was the Zardoz outfits. Oh, Zardoz. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. That... Oh, and actually that one scene when they uh, when they fucked up Olga with the dance, I thought that was actually kind of cool. Yeah, it was all right. Yeah. I wish that's had... what I mean. The movie has little bits here and there, but collectively as a two and a half hour movie, I, it's a little too long for me. There, there was too much filler. Yeah, I didn't think the story justified that running time either. Yeah, not at all. All, all it was is Dakota Johnson looking with her eyebrows like like she wanted the stare fuck Tilda Swinton. <laughs> and just, at, least, at least I didn't have to look at Chloe Grace Moretz for more than a few minutes. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, surprisingly, the way they, she was hyped up, she's only in the movie for like five minutes. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Made me so happy. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Chloe. <laughs> Oh man! Um, all right. Loomis. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess. Unless, uh, what about me? You didn't even ask me how I felt. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, we gotta go. That, I was just about to say that. <laughs> that we need to go to Derek for his thoughts on like, movies and running times and all that kind he of stuff. So, Derek. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I have no preference. My favorite movie is four and a half hours long. Thank Holy you. Jesus! What is it? Love Exposure by Sonia Sono. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, hmm. pretty fucking awesome. I mean, I yeah, the, one of my favorite movies is over four hours. It's not my absolute favorite, but Philosophy of a Knife is oh. uh, just o- just over four hours. And you, I love you're that fucking Travowski fan. You? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, it's a hard movie to watch, but goddamn, do I love it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I know. Pre- as long as the story is good, and you know the cast is good, and there's good characters. Like, I just watched fucking six, like, four hours of the fucking One Miss Call TV show, and it had, like, great characterizations within that. You know, oh, wow. yeah. Anything's better than that fucking that's remake. True. Yeah, that's valid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Derek, that's a good point, too. I mean, because people will argue that, hey, if you can invest in TV shows that have eight episodes a season or more an hour each you obviously have no problem in investing the time into it so what's a two and a half hour movie compared to like 20 hours worth of a tv show yeah. um i mean the only pushback against that i guess is if you're 
only watching it like an hour dose at a time, it may be a little different, but still overall the time investment is still there. And I mean, that is an argument for why longer length movies shouldn't ultimately be a problem in theory. Um, I think, you know, for this specific case, we're just talking about like, I guess when, the shorter running time movies are justified in being shorter, shorter just because there's not the story or characters to push it any longer. And the people that it, it write off short, the, the people that write off movies just because of the short running time, it sounds like the three of us obviously don't do that, but it seems like there happens to be a lot of those that like people just yeah. don't watch because they don't think oh, yeah. they're worth it. Yeah, I hear people talk all the time about not liking movies over two hours. Like, actually, didn't Donnie actually famously say on the Horror Mafia that he just doesn't watch movies that are longer than that? Unless they're Italian, I think were his exact words. But I, I could swear it was maybe it was Bill, but it was somebody on the Horror Mafia said, I, I don't even watch movies that are that long. And I yeah. just remember being kind of surprised about that. But, you know, it's his prerogative. Yeah, I, I hear that in a lot of my circles about yeah. long like you know 90 minutes is all you got and if anything actually you have to work for and like the fuck does that mean that's an odd mentality yeah i mean (laughs) give every movie a chance you know like i don't even look at the runtime so i didn't know the shining was fucking two and a half hours the first time i seen it i'm just like sure you know like what the fuck you know (laughs) like i didn't know pulp fiction was three hours the first time i watched it i literally walked out of the theater and the sun was down and i'm like what the fuck time is it and i look at my clock and yeah three hours went by it's like holy shit that movie felt like a solid 90 minutes it's it's just so snappy you know yeah like fucking seven samurai is like like you know kajamusha is like four hours long Uh, you know i don't look yeah i love that movie uh Kara Sour, yeah, go like, fuck it, just go for the ride. Don't even like I, like I, I told Carly this once when we did, just don't look at the back of the box anymore. Just put the movie on and exactly. go for it. And the other thing too is, is that there's no fucking law that says you have to finish the movie after you start it. You oh know, yeah, there have been plenty of times where I'll watch movies in multiple sittings. You know, I'll watch it a half hour one day, an hour another day. I understand that as podcasters, we're reviewing these movies. And it makes, you know, it makes it a lot easier to put our thoughts together when we watch it in one sitting. But ultimately, if it's three hours and you just don't want to sit on your ass for three hours, fucking cut it up. Yeah, I watched The Wheel in two days. Because I just had to go to work. I was like, stop. stop <laughs> when I get home. Yeah, my last, uh, my last, uh, what do you call it? House that Jack built remake, uh, rewatch was uh, over two sessions because I just after a while, like I love the movie, don't get me wrong, but after a while, it's like I want to watch something else. <laughs> it's kind of a weird thing to say that I love the movie, but I rarely watch it all in one sitting. Let's, uh, I guess I'll go with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done that just because I start movies like way too late at night, and then. I realized, like, if I actually want to watch this properly, I need to stop it here and I'll turn it on the next day. I mean, that's just natural. Yeah, but there's movies that are, like, five hours long that, you know, like, Heaven's Gate. I'm like, why are you five hours long? You know, it just depends. Mm -hmm. Depends on the movie and the mood I'm in, you know? I mean, those In Search Of documentaries, too, that are on Shudder, they're, like, four and a half hours long. But those are broken up so nicely, you don't have to watch it in one sitting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, I mean, that's like movies that I'm rewatching for summer series. Like, I 
look at the running times just for the fact of organizing how I'm going to watch it. Because when I first got my list, I was like, okay, I want to watch. Um, I want to watch them in a certain order based on how good I I still remember them and how I already think they should be ranked. But then I found myself being like, no, I need to change that to I'm looking at the running time so I can say, okay, which ones can I do like two in a day or back to back as opposed to, you know, the longer ones that I need to find a better suitable time to watch them. So sometimes it's just time management, like Benham said. Mm-hmm. Hello. All right. Well, speaking of time management, we should probably wrap this up so we can t- take a break and come back with Venom's picks for the episode. So, uh, Venom, you ready to captain the ship from here on out? I'm good. All right. Well, with that said, let's take a small break and we will be right back with this episode's features. Yay, break time. <laughs> His name is Dr. Butcher, M.D., medical deviant. He has perverted the science of medicine for his own maniacal means. (laughs) Dr. Butcher, M.D., medical deviant. You will die only to live again in a younger body. Then you can tell me if the operation was a success. What it's like to pass from life to death and death to life. See Dr. Butcher's diabolical surgery. You must have a psychopathic deviant in the hospital. Dr. Butcher loves New York. There are so many attractive patients to operate on. I could easily kill you now. But I'm determined to have your brain. It'll be the culmination of my career. Dr. Butcher, medical deviant. He loves to operate on beautiful women. I'm on the verge of discovering the key to to increasing man's lifespan by over a hundred years. Prepare the operating table. I'm anxious to experiment on a male Caucasian brain. The time has come for you to play your part in this momentous occasion. Science must surmount all obstacles and this requires certain sacrifices. It will comfort you to know that generations to come will reap great benefits from my experiments. You're a bloodthirsty loon. Dr. Butcher, M.D., medical deviant. He's a depraved, sadistic rapist, a bloodthirsty, homicidal killer. And he makes house calls. Dr. Butcher, M.D. Your kiss is cold and icy as death. Your embrace, deep as the night. Nonsense. He wants to kill me, too. Bloody moon. Summer nights filled with horror. A killer whose lust for blood will stop at nothing. Nights of blood. Nights of terror that will leave you breathless. Dr. Butcher. 
Young girls in search of love and adventure become the prey of a bloodthirsty killer. Now you'll be mine. with him. I can't wait till tonight. I wish you were here now. Fear will grip you on this holiday of terror. A dream vacation becomes a nightmare. Bloody Moon, a film you won't soon forget. Bloody Moon. All right, welcome back, folks. Uh, we are going to talk about our feature films for the for the week. Uh, these are my selections, of course. So as I mentioned earlier in the show, I bought a couple of films from the Severin sale recently and decided to make them our feature presentations for the night. First movie is uh, from 1980. It is directed by Marino Girolami. Mm, very Italian name. And it is, of course, Dr. Butcher, MD, Medical Deviant, also known as Zombie Holocaust, as uh, that was his, its original title when it was released in Italy in 1980. When we got it here in the States in 1982, uh, they, I think someone, uh, the story is, I believe, that someone decided that Zombie Holocaust was too generic a title, that it could get confused with the plethora of other movies with either zombie or holocaust in the title so they decided to go with something a little bit more memorable hence we get dr butcher md medical deviant and uh, our synopsis is as follows an expedition in the east indies encounters not only the cannibals they were looking for but also an evil scientist and his zombie army (laughs) now I look at this movie as a almost like a 1980 Satan's Slaves. Uh, Mike might remember that when we reviewed Satan's Slaves back in 2018 on Fresh Cuts, um, one of the things that I that I really really loved about the movie was its variety of antagonists. Um, Satan's Slaves. For anybody who's seen it, you remember that it kind of starts off as a ghost story, but then it kind of goes into like almost a zombie film. And then it kind of teeters into a cult film. So you get you get like three very distinctive types of antagonists in that movie. And guess what? We get the same thing here, uh, which once again is another reason that I really like this movie is that, you know, we get the jungle cannibals and the scenes with the jungle cannibals are ve- just as intense as almost anything you'll find in Cannibal Faroe or Cannibal Holocaust. Um you know, maybe not women getting hung by their uh, mammaries or, you know, guys getting their uh, Johnson cut off. But, I mean, you still get some really great eye pokes. You get the classic uh, uh, disemboweling of people, you know, uh, pulling their guts out, uh, things like that. So for the first, like, solid half hour of this film, I mean, it is solidly a jungle cannibal movie. But then when we finally get to the titular Dr. Butcher's lab, it turns into a mad scientist movie because the the character of Dr. Butcher in the Italian version, his name is Dr. Obero. Um, that character is, well, mad. Fucking mad as hell. He's uh, basically turning people into zombie slaves 
uh, that do his dirty work, basically. So um, and then we are introduced to the third antagonist of the film, and that is, of course, the zombies now. Uh, There'll be people that kind of argue whether these are true Romero-like zombies, you know, reanimated corpses. Um, Potentially, you know, it could be that the doctor is making the, you know, maybe through lobotomies, um, through other kinds of experiments that he's done, that he's just kind of turned all these creatures into mindless um, because they're, I, I, I don't remember, but I don't think we actually get a scene of any of them eating flesh. Like they will attack people that the doctor, you know, basically instructs them to attack, but we don't actually see them like, you know, dismembering people and eating their flesh. So it's almost more like a voodoo zombie, but still, you know, we're getting distinct zombies, cannibals, and a mad scientist in, the story ultimately is kind of messy and I'm not real happy with the ending. The ending is very abrupt. Uh, basically a, a fire breaks out at the lab and everyone dies and the movie's over. Well, not everyone, but you know, the, the, let's say the antagonist. Um, so it's a very abrupt ending that actually leaves you wanting more. I know the first few times I watched this, this was not a first time watch for me, by the way. Um, yeah, the first time I watched this, or the first few times I watched it, I just really thought the ending was just a little too abrupt. Um, you get used to it after a while, after multiple watches. Um, I believe I had this on VHS back in the day, and then, like I said, I recently bought it from Severin uh, in the Blu-ray pack. It's kind of cool, because they actually, in the Blu-ray pack, it's a two-pack, and they actually give you the movie in both forms uh you get one disc that says dr butcher md and then you get the other disc that says zombie holocaust except it's the same movie on both discs just with different title cards so you're actually like looking at the american version if it's got the dr butcher title card and then if it's got the zombie holocaust you know you're watching the italian one so um kind of interesting there but like i said this is one of those just another guilty pleasure type movie that not a lot of people talk about but i really really like this movie um it could a lot of it could be like i said because of the gilbert um godfrey connection and the fact that he that this movie is a guilty pleasure to him so that when i first watched it after hearing about it on his show i just absolutely loved it um so yeah, uh, let's go with Mike. Mike, what did you think of Zomb- uh Well, yeah, what did you think of Zombie Holocaust? So of the two, this is the one I had actually seen before. Mm-hmm. It, it's been a long time, but re- rewatching it again, I kind of what it made me immediately want to do is look up uh, when Zombie had come out because I feel like the setup kind of gave me a little bit of uh, hints of that. You know, where they're kind of trying to track something down, they end up. Uh, I don't know if this one was necessarily on an island, but like, you know, out in the forest, um, trying to solve what the hell is going on out there. And of course, this one kind of adds to uh, just having zombies by having cannibal tribes. And then yeah. it's like you're already dealing with the damn cannibals, like killing you, wanting to eat you. And then something shows up that scares the shit out of the cannibals. <laughs> and it's like. <laughs> It's like, well, for the cannibals to just get up and stop doing their murdering and maiming and eating, it has to be something scary, right? And then the, and then the zombies show up and the cool ass sounding uh, score hits. And I like how the score it just yeah. repeats that same tone each time a new zombie shows up. <laughs> like they just keep hitting the same key on a synthesizer. Um, 
but yeah, overall, I, I found this movie entertaining. It's kind of like what you have to do with like a lower budget. You know, it's a it's a lesser known movie, probably by the masses. You got to throw in stuff there that's going to be people that it's going to keep people entertained. And you know, we have plenty of cannibal movies, plenty of zombie movies, but this one kind of throws them both together in the same movie and says, "Here, well, what would happen if uh, these deadly cannibals ran into the undead?" and I think it pulls it off pretty successful. I, I was pretty entertained by this. It, it, like I said, it's been so long since I watched it. I didn't remember a whole lot um, about it. And, you know, the story, it, it it's adequate for what you need on this type of movie. But these aren't really the type of movies that you are looking for a rich, engaging story. You yeah. just need something <laughs> that's going to keep things moving. And I, I think... It does that just fine, but yeah, man, zombie call, zombie Holocaust, Doctor Butcher, MD, whichever one you prefer, or if you prefer throwing it all together, yeah, man, it, it's a fun movie. <laughs> yeah, I forgot to mention I was looking through my packaging right now. I forgot to mention if you buy this movie from Severin, it comes with a branded Doctor Butcher barf bag. Yeah, <laughs> which I love that. I love I love weird, wacky stuff like that when they th- you know. Um, you know, like a blood pack that came with my original Saw Blu-ray when I first got it. You know, little random stuff like that I think is so great. So to see that branded barf bag in there, oh, just uh, just beautiful. It probably cost them pennies, literal pennies, to include that in there. But the fact that they did just makes it th- that much more valuable to me. I love that. Yeah. But uh, uh, Derek, uh, what do you got for me for Zombie Holocaust? Uh- well, before I get into my thoughts on the movie, Venom, you know why they actually added the barf bag? Oh, why? Because that's originally what they did when it first came out on 42nd Street. Oh, they handed out barf bags at the theater? Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, uh, Dr. Butcher MD, uh, I'm more known for the zombie holocaust kind of the mm-hmm. movie. It's the one I seen the first, so this... It was actually the first time I ever watched the Dr. Butcher MD cut of the movie, mm-hmm. which has some differences. Ooh. For starters, uh, the whole opening scene with the zombie coming out of the grave actually comes from like an anthology film that was never finished. Uh-huh. And they edited it into the movie. And you can kind of tell because the zombies look totally different than the zombie in that opening title sequence. Right, was it that was the the Snuff Maximus uh, cemetery uh, tombstone? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it looks like it's from a totally different movie. But, exactly. Yeah. You know, you know. <laughs> so, in in on, on, and they cut some character development out of the movie. I noticed on this watch, and uh, yeah, one thing that's different. I prefer the score of Zombie Holocaust than this one. You can still hear some of the score, but it's overlapped with that synthesizer score that's in this, which mm-hmm. I don't hate the score in this one. It, it works, but it was like, it was kind of jarring because I'm so used to the other score. You know what I mean? Sure. Uh, but overall, uh, I enjoy the movie. It's still the same movie. It's just a little, ironically enough, they both run the same time. They There's yeah. actually there's some stories that they added, like another scene with Ian McCollin and the, the main actress there. After the fact, they actually Aquarius release and who put this out on 42nd Street actually hired them back to film one more scene with involving like another zombie. And uh, you can kind of tell it because that scene looks like it's in somebody's backyard and not the jungle. 
<laughs> but uh, Mike, you said it kind of reminds you of Zombie in a way. Mm-hmm. Because they actually bit. use the same sets as Zombie. This was filmed at the same time as Zombie. That makes oh, sense. wow, really? Oh, well, yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> Which, ironically enough, it actually shares the same star of Zombie, Ian McCulloch. Yep. Mm-hmm. I love, I love Ian McCulloch. <laughs> uh, he's great as Peter Challenger. Uh, yeah, he has some very interesting thoughts on this movie. If you watch some of the interviews, uh, he's like, yeah, this yeah, you get this with a lot of those guys doing these Italian movies, but uh, I enjoy the movie. You know, the most interesting performance in it is Donald O'Brien as Doctor Butcher MD himself. <laughs> uh, I always, he's a character actor that pops up in tons of these Italian movies, uh, a few Lucio Fulci movies, some westerns. Uh, he actually was in both of the westerns that we did on the western show on Cinema Attack that we did. For the Apocalypse and Massimino Mahanja and Man of the Blade playing totally different characters. And, you know, he's a chameleon. He could transform into uh, his character. And he's great in the role. I wish he was in the movie a little bit more. Uh, the thing I love about this movie, though, it has one of the fucking funniest dummy deaths of all time. Where the dummy <laughs> falls and the arm falls off, it fucking yep. cracks me up every time. It wow, that was amazing. <laughs> you know, dummy it, deaths, man. Dummy deaths are great. It's <laughs> fucking awesome. <laughs> uh, but I enjoy this movie for it. it is, if I had to choose a cut, though, uh, probably the zombie holocaust cut, because the one I'm more familiar with and had more time with. But, you know... It was an interesting thing watching because this is the one that was shown on 42nd Street. So, yeah, it was interesting. You know, it's like kind of watching Godzilla King of the Monsters versus Gorgera. You know, it's kind of like since where they re edited the movie. Uh, It was interesting the way they did it, you know. But overall, I have fun with this. I I have no problems, you know, what the time period it came out in. This type of movie makes sense. Oh yeah, I mean we 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 see plenty of these movies, uh, you know, coming out of Italy at the time, late seventies, early eighties. But uh, yeah, like I said, this is for some reason this is one that's kind of under discussed. I don't, you know, people always talk about zombie and and think you know City of the Living Dead and stuff like that. But it's like um, a lot of these, you know, that maybe didn't do a lot of money when they first came out, or they didn't make a huge splash with critics or fans. Uh, unfortunately they get kind of ignored. So I'm very glad that Severin put this out. Like when I, when I was on the website and I saw that it was there available at such a low price, I wasn't even a hundred percent sure it was the movie I was thinking of because I hadn't seen it in a bit, but yeah. Um, like I said, Gilbert Gottfried, you know, put that idea in my head and I'm like, well, I got to get it now since it's affordable. And now I'm absolutely ecstatic that I own it. I just, I, you know, love might be a stretch. I can't really sit here and say I love this movie. Um, I love Zombie. I love House by the Cemetery, you know, but this one I really enjoy. It's um, definitely kind of a guilty pleasure. and It's kind of even fun to laugh at. I mean, Dr. Butcher and his assistant are both kind of goofy as hell. As as genius as Dr. Butcher actually is, you know, for what he was able to do with his experiments, 
he's still just an absolute crazy idiot. And like I said, the mood, the ending is so abrupt that it kind of leaves you wanting more, which actually isn't a terrible thing. Better the movie leave you wanting more than, you know, leave you depressed or unsatisfied at the end. So, yeah, overall, really enjoy the film and yeah, very happy I picked it up. So that is, as we've said, Zombie Apocalypse, or Zombie Holocaust, excuse me, not Apocalypse, that's a different movie. <laughs> and and like I said, uh, the alternate title, Dr. Butcher, MD, Medical Deviant. Uh, like As Derek and I have said, it's available on Severin, so check it out if you get a chance. Yeah, great uh, release. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, the transfer is really nice. I remember the first time I saw this, it looked awful. So yeah, this this was a treat, mm-hmm. definitely. So, yeah, yeah. Huge upgrade to my Shriek show. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and and I would agree. Like it, it doesn't hit the heights of like a zombie, mm-hmm. um, or some of like other Fulci's stuff. Sure. But it still hits the right notes of being fun with what takes place. It it pretty much does what you would want a movie to do. That kind of plays like on that second tier, I don't, either second or even third tier. I don't know. Sure. You know, depending on personal preference. Um. It does enough to like be a part of your collection, even though you acknowledge, okay, it's not quite as good as the the peak of where these kind of movies can get. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. And uh, I'll add one more thing. It was so funny that you know, because I, we, me and Mike did the Wreck show, and we talked about Wreck Four, and there's a scene where uh, he she kills his, like an infected zombie with a boat propeller. Oh, right, the outboard motor, yes. Yeah, they did it with, this is where they got it from. This movie answers the age-old question, who wins in a fight, a zombie or an outboard motor? And now we know, an outboard motor wins. Yeah, (laughs) Mike sees Wreck 4 fucking stole from this movie. (laughs) It's probably the best thing it stole, because Wreck 4 is rough. Yeah. Yeah, the CGI monkeys, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's a hard one. All right, so that's Dr. Butcher. Let's go ahead and move on to our second feature of the night. That is 1981's Bloody Moon from Jess Franco. Um, My father. <laughs> is this movie based on your life, too, Derek? It is. Shout ah. out to Nate Pollock. Awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Bloody Moon, like I said, 1981, directed by Jess Franco. At the time, he was known as Jesus Franco. Uh, our synopsis is nice and easy. It's a one-line synopsis, and it just goes as follows. Girls are killed at a language school in Spain. That's there's a it. Lot of, there's a lot of incest and fucking <laughs> girls fucking... Uh, oh yeah, a lot of a lot of random nudity and oh yeah, it's a great one. There's one uh, random dude that all the girls seem to fuck. You should take him for a ride sometime. Yeah, man, the attitudes in this movie are amazing. Like the women are all very promiscuous and proud of it. Which, mind you, it, it's a little jarring, but I love seeing it. I love seeing women that are like you know free and comfortable with their sexuality, and you get a lot of that here. Um, I'm just wondering who this fucking Marco guy is. Or wait, was it Marco? Miguel? Miguel? No, no, not Miguel. Not the killer. The guy that everybody liked. Oh, the, oh, yeah, the guy that everyone wanted to. Fuck. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, that guy. The, the guy that everybody wanted to fuck. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at him, and he looks like I'm like he looks like a basic white boy to me. Why is everybody fawning over this guy? Hey, man, you um, see some of the girls in Italian movies like Girls Bane. Yeah, they're valid, valid. Uh, but I mean. 
I will say that there there are a lot of attractive women in this movie. This is easily the most attractive language school I've ever seen. Um, also, these women are, if you notice, it's actually a Spanish class that they're in. So they're they're in Spain, uh, and they're learning Spanish. So they're obviously not Spanish. I think they mentioned that they were German, I think, something like that. Yeah, it was uh, a German production film. Right, right. And they wanted to shoot it. I, I remember Jess Franco saying that they wanted to shoot it in Germany, uh, but they just decided, fuck it, since the movie is technically based in Spain and we're already in Spain, let's just shoot it here, which obviously makes total sense. So, yeah, um, this movie, though, oh, this movie, uh, first and foremost, this is not a standout from Jess Franco. This is this is a decent movie. It's enjoyable. My biggest issue with the movie are the special effects, but in Jess Franco's defense, there is a reason that the special effects are poor in this movie. Uh, but before I tell that part of the story, there's something that you have to know about this movie. Um, Jess Franco, for the most part, is not happy with this movie uh, to the point where he's actually pissed off. Why is he pissed off, you might ask? Well, the story, and this is coming directly from him from an interview that I, I watched recently, um, basically he was completely lied to, uh, by the producers of the film. Basically the producers of the film gave him the script for bloody moon and he was going to pass on it. Uh, at first it wasn't anything that he was really interested in, but then the producers started making promises, um, that they unfortunately couldn't keep. The first promise that they made to just Franco is that we're go that we're going to have Olivia Pascal to be our star. Now that did come to fruition for whatever it's worth. That actually, they didn't have her signed yet, by the way. So they were still lying to him because um, they told him that we've got Olivia Pascal. They technically didn't at the time that uh, Franco signed on, but at least she did eventually um, decide to star in the film. So that's one thing. That's the first thing they lied about. The second thing they lied about, they told Jess that they were going to have Pink Floyd do the score. Literally, contracts are signed, and they are ready to do the score for this movie. Flat out lie. Pink Floyd was never attached to this film. But again, because Jess Franco was such a huge Pink Floyd fan... As soon as they said that to him, he got very excited. His eyes got big, and he's like, yeah, I love that band. They're going to do the score. I'm in. Then uh, another thing that the producers lied about was they told him that he was going to get one of the best American special effects artists out there. Now, they did not give a specific name. It's not like they said Stan Winston or Rick Baker or something like that. They just said, you're going to get one of the literally quote uh, the the quote is you're going to get one of the best special effects guys um that's available and it's an american and he's going to be coming out for the film again bold face lie they did not have a big name special effects guy and the and this ties into why the special effects in this film are not great um, it's because they ended up having to get a guy, a local special effects artist, on two weeks' notice. Two weeks. This poor guy had two, or this guy and his team had two weeks to put all these effects together. So unfortunately, uh, there's a kill here with a uh, like one of those big log cutting saws mm -hmm. that looks. I mean, it, it. You might as well have written mannequin on the forehead of the mannequin. 
it's so obviously a mannequin when the <laughs> saw cuts into it. It's the most dead, expressionless face. I mean, they literally, they didn't even try to, like, do something with the mannequin. It looks like they took the mannequin out of the box and put it on the screen. You know what I mean? So, again, um, not a great choice. Um, earlier in the film, there is a stabbing that literally, when they do a close-up of the of the victim getting stabbed, it looks like they're stabbing drywall. I, I don't know if anybody here has ever, like, punched or, or stabbed something into drywall. This is exactly what it looked like. But then they cut it. Luckily, it's not on screen for that long, and they cut it. And when they go back uh, to the body, it's bloody, and it starts looking a little bit better. But that first stab, no blood comes out, and it looks like he's punching a hole in a drywall. So, yeah, what are you going to do? Again, like I said, I'm going to forgive Franco because ultimately, you know, his hands were tied. He had to do something. He did the best he could. And ultimately, it's not a bad movie, Um, especially in the third act. I really actually um, because the movie starts out feeling like a slasher, like it's just going to be a slasher. But then before the first act is over, it's it's it turns into a whodunit. You know, it, it starts to turn into a more traditional giallo, not that this is a giallo necessarily, though you could make the arguments that, you know, it's kind of a Spanish giallo, if you will. But um, once it kind of goes to that aspect, I started to like the film a little bit more. When it was just a straight slasher and we just thought Miguel was going around killing all these women, um, I didn't enjoy it as much. I'm like, ah, this, is, this isn't going to be great. We already know who the killer is. It's one of those movies where, you know, you're just – and that's what I thought anyway, that it was going to be one of those movies that were just following the antagonist as he goes on his killing spree. But like I said, they subvert that. Uh, probably at the end of the first act, maybe the beginning of the second, where you start to realize, wait a minute, maybe Miguel's not actually committing all these crimes, even though he's obviously the biggest red herring in the movie. Um, it ends up being, you know, uh, well, I don't know how spoilery, spoilery we're going to get. I mean, obviously it's a 1981 film, but, um, but let's just say uh, the ending is not what we thought it was going to be. They ended up uh, kind of taking a slight left turn. Uh, but what I will say is that um, I really, really did enjoy the story. I did not like the climax of this film in the sense that the death of the actual antagonist is very lackluster like it just comes and goes you know what i mean like there's no setup there's no build-up there's no build-up it's not like there's a chase going on and the protagonist ends up getting the upper hand and then we get this big epic now it's just really quick somebody walks in basically someone walks into a room with a hedge trimmer and then basically just cuts him in his midsection and he dies and that's it it's a little disappointing considering all the shit that this person did in the film, I, I think we needed, we as the viewer deserved a little bit better final scene. You know, there have been multiple movies over the years that I've complained about this exact thing where we spend an hour and a half watching an antagonist or a group of antagonists doing the most awful things ever. But then when it comes to the climax, they just kind of die and it's over. And it's like, nah, nah, fuck that. I want to see them get tortured. I want to see, you know, I want I want to see some damage. I want to see your next, you know, I want to see somebody react like that, you know, but you don't always get that, unfortunately. So, yeah, 
this is overall, this was a movie that I kind of enjoyed. It's definitely lacking a lot. It is not one of Jess Franco's strongest by any stretch. I'm not even sure if we can call this middle of the road. I think Derek will probably have a lot more to say about it than me, him being a lot more versed with Jess Franco than I am. But um, overall, this is a mildly enjoyable film. Uh, you know, if I had to rate it, it would get like a middle of the road rating more for its characterizations than necessarily its storytelling or its effects or kills or anything like that. But still, um, there still is a lot to enjoy here. You know, there's some good characters. Um, and obviously, Olivia Pascal, for anybody who hasn't seen her, is absolutely stunning. This woman is gorgeous. Um and you get a lot of random nudity in this movie, not from the star, who's probably the one person everybody wants to see naked in this movie. But we do get a lot of random uh, nudity throughout. Um, so, yeah, like I said, overall, I, I enjoyed it. It's just not one of my favorites from Franco. Um, let's go ahead and start with Derek. Derek, what would you think of Bloody Moon? Uh, it's not a first time watch for me, this one. Mm-hmm. I like this movie for what it is. Uh the thing about it is it's Franco's take on like the slasher film in a way mm-hmm. where it has elements of a slasher, but it also has elements of like the Italian giallo films, which is kind of mixes them both together. And, you know, you think Miguel's going to be like this Michael Myers guy. They even set up, he comes out of an institution years later, but he's honest. Well, you know, honestly, I, I think I have to spoil the ending to, to get my point. It, it's kind of a tragic aspect where Miguel's, well, we already hinted that there's incest in this movie. Miguel, Miguel's in love with his sister, and his sister is ultimately fucking him over. She's like, I never loved him. Look at his fucking face. Well, we haven't mentioned that. Miguel has like this giant, like they just put some mud on his face. It looked like a disfigurement. But uh, yeah, that's besides the point. That that's kind of it's like the mole from Austin Towers. You're like, Get, don't show that guy. But uh, yeah, he's, he's teaming up with the language, the head of the language art class, mm-hmm. and she kills him with the hedge trimmer. But I do kind of like the aspect that Miguel actually gets the final blow. And it's kind of a tragic scene in the way where it pretty much ends with him killing his sister as he's dying. Yeah. And she's holding his hands. That's the only aspect of the ending that I do kind of like. Where Yeah, I didn't mind that part as well. I do yeah. wish I, I wish that um Angela did have more of a role in the ending. Because yeah. she went through more than anybody, you know, in this film. Yeah. She went through so much and she doesn't get the saddest she doesn't get any catharsis at all. You know, she, she's a final girl who doesn't get payback. I mean, yes, the antagonists do, you know, pay their comeuppance that, you know, um, but she doesn't play a role in that. And I always I felt like with everything that she went through, she deserved some kind of catharsis there at the end. Uh-huh. But, you know, not a big deal. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, I loved the setup of the saw kill. It, uh, yeah. it actually is engrossing it because. It kind of has that anticipation to like the splinter scene in zombie in a way mm-hmm. where you're just waiting for it to hit the head. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, you know, it's weird. Cause you even have a little kid that actually tries to help stop and she kicks the killer. And, uh, 
The killer gets pissed because after that lady gets the man, her mannequin gets fucking yeah. head cut off. The killer gets back into his car and runs the kid over. It's the While, greatest. I, I love we get that whole scene where you know the kid's like, "Should I help? Should I not? I'm kind of scared." And then he finally flips the switch, and then the killer's like, "Psych! I'm right here to turn the switch right back." on so she gets killed (laughs) she gets killed anyway and then it was a cool beheading scene and then immediately after that so the kid runs off like you said and this this was the first time watching so i just assumed okay it was a random move by a kid we'll never see again because he ran off and that's (laughs) that's the extent of his part and then next thing you know we cut to a shot of him running down the road and i'm like wait a minute why would they still be showing him running down the road and Less, and then here comes a car. <laughs> That's like one of the best parts of the movie. I it's thought. funny too because that kid, you know, he he basically gets killed for doing the right thing. You know, he you know after a little bit of thought, he does do the right thing. He tries to save this total stranger that he doesn't know, um, and then just gets offed for it. But the thing is, I don't necessarily feel too bad for the kid because why the hell were you running down the street? Why wouldn't you go into the woods? Why wouldn't you go somewhere where a car can't fucking follow you? This dumb, this dipshit is just running down the street. And look, I understand he's probably like, what, eight or nine years old, maybe. So he's not the brightest thing out there. But I'm like, if you see a car coming towards you, wouldn't you jump into the woods? Like, get off the street? Nope. This kid is not smart enough. So even though he does the right thing and he tries to help, I still say, fuck this kid. Yeah. <laughs> Not smart enough to get off the road. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think they just did it for like fucking lengthwise, you know, the, because the killer was going in the. Because obviously the reason why he killed him is because he probably saw his or her face. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, so it was going to end a, a chase of him killing this kid anyways. Either way, so they probably went the easy way out and made it an easy, simple kill by just having oh, him yeah. run over. Oh, yeah, I, I'm not necessarily questioning the decision of the directors. It, it, yeah. It's a quick, easy, shocking kill, you know, so I understand doing it. Um, I, I, you know, you know me. I, I bring logic into movies I shouldn't be bringing logic into, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's kind of hard when one of the characters has a piece of mud on his face half the movie, you know. <laughs> That's another thing, too, the makeup effects. Uh, I mean, the special mm-hmm. effects that we've already talked about don't look great, but. Even the makeup effects, like that dude, Derek said it right. It literally looks like he's just got mud on his face. It doesn't look like a burn um, scar. It doesn't look like, you know, some other kind of scar. It literally looks like he just put mud on his face and it just stays there the whole movie. Uh, honestly, honestly, if he uses, because he looks, he's a weird looking dude to begin with. You just have normally weird looking dude. Yeah, I mean, he kind of looks like young Jack Torrance. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Without the one on yeah, his face, no yeah, it's young Jack Torrance. <laughs> young porn star version of Jack Torrance. <laughs> 70s porn Torrance. <laughs> yeah, and the weird thing about it, too, it's like fucking, even though there's a lot of nudity, it's kind of tame for Franco, too, in that sense. Cause, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of Frank. Yeah, Mike, you, if, you, if this was your first Jess Franco film, wait till we get into some of the, you know, the other stuff, especially with his wife. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've seen a movie where she sucked two cocks at once. Let's just put it that way. Good times. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of muff licking in some Jess Franco's. 
Yeah. Oh, definitely. The nudity is tame. It's toned down here. Absolutely. Um, I mean, you can you can kind of tell that Franco is just kind of going through the motions like it, it does have his flair. Like you, you can definitely tell in certain scenes that it's a Franco movie, but at the same time, you can also like longtime fans of his can probably tell his heart wasn't in this. Um, you know, because of all the issues that we already talked about with the yeah. producers. But yeah, um, it's too bad because I would like to see, you know, if, if he had like a full team, if he had a special effects guy from the beginning, because that's the thing. I don't think he needed a better special effects guy. He just needed somebody who had more time. You know, like I said, they they, they hired this guy two weeks before uh, the first day of shooting. So yeah. he probably put all these things together in like 10 days. And ultimately, even Rick Baker will tell you, I need more than 10 days to do a good decapitation or a good stabbing or, you know, whatever else was missing from the film. So, yeah, not for, not on Franco by any stretch, but, you know, it's still unfortunate because his name is the one that's going to be associated with this film more than anybody. So, yeah, for sure. And, you know, yeah, it's like they hired the guy who did the giant claw. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, all right, Mike, bring us on home. What do you got for me for Bloody Moon? Um, yeah, I, I thought this movie was uh, pretty cool. Like, I, I liked um, the other one better, yeah. but I thought I, I thought this one some of the cools, cools, some of the kills were <laughs> God. Let's see, I, I continue to not say words right. Some of the kills were cool, like we already talked about the saw blood. It's funny when she was first tied up and getting like uh, the thing was like moving in. I was like, "What the hell is this? Is this like a did jigsaw come rig a car wash to have like a rotating blade in it? Because it, <laughs> you know, there's all the water and stuff. Like how you first go through a car my, wash show. <laughs> my my guy, my guy usually stop questioning stuff after watching pieces for like 500 times because <laughs> they install a water bit in the school. Yeah. yeah. You know. Oh, man. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I thought when you find out like the the killer is girl's brother and you're just like, ew, this is kind of gross now. Um, it's getting a little awkward. But, you know, overall, I, I still had a fun time with it as a first time watch. Uh, it was it was fun just to see the different ways people were getting killed. I, I agree that the ending was kind of a little lackluster, just the way it just kind of gets tied up just like that. OK, uh, and then dude's holding the girl the day saved somewhat, I guess. Um, I got a fucking kick out of the girl jumping on the bed pretending she was having sex and then (laughs) (laughs) like that uh, (laughs) I always crack up the way like when movies are when sex scenes or I guess one and this one like a fake sex scene the way that the dialogue is always written for them because it's always like the standard kind of stuff that they have the girls always saying you're just cracking me up the things she was saying that of course she gets caught by her friends and she gets all pissed off like i'm sorry you did you not expect them to be laughing at you when they when they discovered that i also love the fact that you know she goes to the closet you just have dead bodies kind of they're always like around you know around everywhere i think that's a classic uh trope of slasher movies of course you know at, at this point in 1981 probably wouldn't even call it a trope because you know slashers aren't crazy deep into their life yet so i i found that aspect 
pretty cool. And some of the, you know, some of the makeup on the, the dead bodies are like really well done, just freaky looking. Just makes you like if you open a closet, just saw something like that hanging there, just like ah. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is you know really like your bare bones story. Just to you know, let's just make a movie with a killer in it. A uh, few things added, but not much more needed. I mean, if you're kind of a fan of uh, slasher movies, I think this movie will do enough for you um, to enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, not every kill in this movie is terrible. You know, I've, I've obviously I've already mentioned a couple that look pretty bad. But I mean, when the best friend died, when she got stabbed through the left breast, I thought that kill was pretty cool and actually looked halfway decent too. the way that they actually framed it so that the, the knife actually literally came out of her nipple. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Did you guys notice, though, that the knife moved when yeah. they put her in the closet? Like she got stabbed through the left breast, but then when they show her hanging in the closet, the knife is right in the center of her chest. <laughs> yeah. Just some silly little goof. But yeah, I mean, still, like I said, I, I just wanted to point out that there are some cool looking kills in this movie. And then there's a couple of off screen ones, like when they burn the countess, we don't actually really get to see it. They do that superimposed thing where they just superimpose fire over the image of the woman in bed. It's, it doesn't look great. Um, uh, the kill with the girl with the beers, um, the girl that was coming back with all the beers in her hand, that one was basically off screen because it was such a tight close up. You didn't actually get to see anything. So, um, but I did like a lot of other aspects of the movie. I liked how, you know, about halfway through the movie, suddenly you're kind of cheering for Miguel, you know, you're no longer, really concerned with, you know, the thing is he is still stalking people though. He's not killing anybody, you know, uh, cause we didn't actually mention that Miguel was actually caught. Uh, he killed someone in an opening scene in the film. And then that's why he went away for five years, I guess, to a mental facility. Um, and then, you know, the sister comes and picks him up and the rest of the movie kind of takes place from there. So that's why we assume that Miguel is the killer because, you know, basically using the exact same M.O., you know, figuring out a way to get into a woman's uh, a house or apartment and then stabbing her, you know, multiple times. So, of course, you know, we assume that it's Miguel, uh, the red herring, obviously. But once we get the confirmation that it's not Miguel, you're suddenly kind of cheering for him. Like suddenly he's not that creepy, deformed guy. Now you, you kind of feel sorry for him and the rough life that he's probably led, even though he came from money. Because of the shit on his face, you know, he, I'm sure he was treated poorly by pretty much everybody. So, um, but there is, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to take out of this movie. I think this score is actually great. Yeah. I, I love this score. Um, I love, like I said, how the movie kind of went from a slasher and then kind of goes into almost like a giallo type uh, murder mystery. I, I enjoyed that a lot. I mean, there, there's definitely a lot to behold here. There's a lot. There's a lot to laugh at like I said, but there's also a lot to take in as great filmmaking, uh, like I said, from Mr. Franco. But um, one thing, too, is that um, I also saw this in that interview with, with Franco, is that he actually made this movie to be a black comedy. That was his intention. It was meant to be a black comedy, but what he said is that the comedy, when they screened it to the uh, first audiences, that the comedy was lost on them and that most people were taking it as a straight 
um, you know, kind of slasher giallo type film. And that, you know, but but he even pointed out a couple of scenes in the movie that were supposed to be funny. And it's like they're they're mildly like chuckle worthy, but I wouldn't go so so far as to say that they're laugh out loud funny. One one scene in particular that he pointed out was there's a scene when Angela is uh, by herself in her apartment in her bungalow, as they call them. Um, and she sees a shadow outside of her front door and it looks like a full, like tall adult shadow. And, but she's, you know, um, the main part of the kills haven't really started happening yet. So she's not that weary of opening the door. She ends up opening the door and it's a little kid selling souvenirs (laughs) and see, just like that, you get a little chuckle. But Franco said he was that was meant to be like a laugh out loud, belly busting, funny scene. And that audiences just didn't either didn't get it or I guess his style of humor just wasn't as accessible as he thought it was. But, yeah, this was meant to be a black comedy. So go figure. Yeah. I was just going to mention, Mike, did you know that Jess Franco was in this movie? Oh, yeah, I didn't know that. (laughs) No. What's where does he show up? He is the doctor uh, after the opening scene where uh, Angela's have talking to the doctor mm-hmm. about Miguel's condition and that he's ready to go home. He plays the doctor character. Oh, cool. Yeah. I didn't notice either, Mike. <laughs> so, yeah, he like Lucio Fulci and Hitchcock before him, he likes to appear in his movies. Oh, yeah. But, so, I, mean, I every think every... Little- yeah. The directors deserve to be in their movies. Just don't do an M. Night Shyamalan and give yourself, like, a big talking part, you know? Do a cameo. Oh, stay away from Exorcismo, then. <laughs> I've seen Exorcismo, actually. I didn't hate it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the last point that I was going to bring up was that this movie actually did appear on the video nasty list for a little while in in the U.K., so this movie was banned. Um, for a few years after its release, I think it came out in the UK in 1982 or 83. Yeah. Um, and yeah, instantly got put on the video nasty list. It didn't. It wasn't on there for nearly as long as a lot of the other movies, like a Cannibal Holocaust or something like that. But yeah, it was a video nasty. So there's a nice trivia question for you because I think yeah. what there's there's 39. How many video nasties were 72. There? 72. Wow. On the on the section one and two lists. Right, right. There's two different lists, exactly. Okay, so yeah, that's probably what I'm thinking of. But yeah, yeah, this was on the video nasty list for a little while. Uh, Jess had, honestly, Jess Franco didn't understand because a lot of his older movies are much worse than this one when it comes to nudity and gore. But for some reason, this one made it on the list. So there you go. Banned yeah. in the UK for something like eight years or something. Yeah, this and Devil Hunter. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. that I mean, video nasties. Like I said, that's an embarrassing uh, part of history for the UK. Just basically deciding that there's movies that should never be watched by anybody. That's a little fucked up. But yeah, there's some weird, yeah, there's like some weird movies like that's on that list. Like, what? Yeah, exactly. Like not everything on there I thought was even uh, worthy, remotely worthy of being on there. Like I know the original Evil Dead was on there and stuff like that. But there, yeah, I remember seeing movies on there that I'm like, what? What's nasty about that? But you know, they honestly, some of those movies they judge by like cover arts and shit. They don't even watch the movies half the time. 
Yeah, I do remember seeing that in one of those video nasty documentaries that I watched where uh, people that were literally on the board will admit now that, oh, yeah, I never saw that movie. But, you know, I saw images from it and we put it on the list. So. Yeah, like the movie Axe, they, they banned it because it's a cover of an axe going, exactly. you know, <laughs> like, or like fucking the driller killer. <laughs> you know? Yep, yep. But, uh, yeah. That's uh, that's Bloody Moon with its Disco Club. <laughs> I love that sign, Disco Club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. it's funny because the way they some things have to be translated, everything has yeah. to be called by like the literal name or description. <laughs> oh man, that, that was that was funny. I, there were a couple of those in the movie with like signs that were translated oddly. Uh, but that one was definitely the funniest because it's just a plain block letter with an arrow pointing disco club. <laughs> it's like, wow, there's like the club doesn't even have a name. It's just generic disco club. OK, Tootie, but yeah, cutie, disco cutie. Nah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I said, a, a very flawed film, but one that, that there's still a lot to take out of it that that's enjoyable. Um, I could see a lot of people not enjoying this movie because of its shortcomings. But at the same time, if you're a fan of, you know, Italian, Spanish, you know, films from that era, I, I definitely think uh, this is watchable and even buyable. Like, I don't regret my purchase, you know, even though it's not what I was hoping it would be, because this was a first time watch for me. I had never seen this before, um, but I just bought it blind. It was cheap and it was just Franco, which I, you know, dreadfully low on just Franco movies in my collection. So that'll get rectified soon. But uh, I'm you know. catching them all. <laughs> there you go <laughs> alright folks so I guess that's the episode what else we got Mike I think that's going to do it for No More Room in Hell number 33 but uh, let's uh, hear from everyone on what uh, other exciting and new shows they can hear so Venom what do we currently have out um, actually, I don't have a whole lot today, and in all honesty, all I'm going to have is the stuff with you. Um, uh, obviously, this is the, the new episode of the main show. On uh, the latest episode of Fresh Cuts, we looked at uh, The Conjuring Devil, The Devil Made Me Do It. On the next episode, we're going to be looking at Caveat, which was uh, a movie that was recently released on Shudder. So if you've got Shudder, check out Caveat. We'll be talking about that later this week. Um, theme warriors has been a little bit of a delay, but we, uh, should be getting back together in the next week or two to discuss our next theme, um, which is our, the new theme is going to be uh, real life parents and children starring in films together. Um, we were going to, we were going to do one more specific for father's day, like, you know, real life fathers and sons, just because June is the month of father's day, but it seemed a little bit easier and would would definitely make it so that we could bring more quality films to it. We just made it parent and child. So hopefully that'll get recorded in the next week or two. And that'll be out also on the Dark Discussions podcast network. And then everything else I have is on hiatus. Uh, Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space on a little bit of a hiatus. Well, it's it's turning into an extended one at this point. Um, in the Mic of Madness, also on an extended hiatus as Rebecca deals with all her indie film projects. And she just finished editing the first movie that she directed, and she is now directing her second film. So 
you know, good luck to Rebecca with all of that. I'm sure it'll come out great. Um, her latest film, The Embalmers, is available on DVD right now. Uh, I'm sure you can, you know, look it up online. And I, I'm not sure the exact website to get it on, but I'm sure it's with a couple of searches, it won't be too hard to find. But uh, once again, that is The Embalmers. And then her next film is called Tin Roof. Uh, so look out for that one for a 2022 release. And what else do I have? Oh, and then in uh, It's Not Horror Okay, is that's also even on a uh, hiatus, um, but not for nearly as good a reason. Uh, basically, one of the hosts on the show, their favorite hockey team made the NHL playoffs, and one of their games actually fell on our recording night. So we ended up postponing last week's episode. Um, we're not sure 100% when we're going to get back together to do that, but definitely before the end of the month. We'll get the next episode of It's Not Horror Okay um, out to everybody. And all the shows uh, I mentioned are available on the Dark Discussions podcast network, except for Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space. That's available on the Legion podcast network under the Kill the Cast feed. So if you're looking for back episodes of uh, Underwater Kaiju, go ahead and subscribe to the Kill the Cast and uh, you'll get all the Underwater Kaiju episodes as well. And uh, the last thing I'll bring up is a guest spot that I did recently on Controllers Up, Cards Down, the all-star gaming podcast with Heather Powell and Scott Crawford. Uh, we basically just did a little over an hour show on uh, just like my gaming history with video games, poker, and everything else that I enjoy. Um, that's available on Legion podcast. And there actually is a video version up on YouTube right now. Once again, on the Legion podcast, YouTube channel. If anybody's interested to see what face goes with this voice, go ahead and check that out. Otherwise, that's all I got, Mike. All right. Uh, Derek, what do you have for everyone to listen to? Oh, snap. He's done. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, this is the shortest one ever. (laughs) Uh, well, if you listeners know, I actually went indie with my regular show, Cinema Attack. Uh, we have a new episode recorded. We are just waiting to put until the feed is all ready and set, which it almost is. Actually, I just got a message from Dubby earlier today that I got to write back to him on, uh, just for personal reasons, I want to see how that show does on its own. Nothing against the network, because the show's still on the network. It's nothing against it at all. It all goodwill. You know, it's just, I just wanted to move on and control my own thing. That's all. It's all good in the hood, Phil. I control uh, my own thing all the time. But uh, also, they're here, which you can find on the Cut to the Chase feed. Uh we have an episode out where we did Catch or Kill, Release, and Exist. And we are prepping to do the entire Poltergeist franchise. That should be interesting. Fun. Uh, yes, it should for be. For episode 10. That should be out soon. Look for that. Uh, also, No More Room in Hell. Underwater Kaiju, like Venom said, is on hiatus. I have a new show that is actually premiering. And it is a Patreon-exclusive show to the Legion podcast Patreon page. And that is Blood from the Core, where me and Mr. Gary Hill are actually going to be looking at New York-based horror-slash-thriller films. 
so like say like Maniac and stuff like that. Movies that Basket take place case. in New Yeah, Basket Case, movies uh-huh. that take place in New York. Uh the first episode that should be out will be on Michael Winner's The Sentinel. Ooh. So look for that. And uh that's about it. I have a few guest spots that I guessed it on, of course Hero Hero Go Show. That's almost riling up where we're gonna be covering we actually just came out today the new episode on part two of the one miscalled tv series and uh yeah that's about it for me besides that uh my picks are next for the next episode Woo. and maybe i'll just you go first michael and then maybe i'll announce what we're gonna do next after that <laughs> uh well actually you know besides what venom announced i don't I don't really think I have much. Um, I other than fresh cuts, you know, consistently still coming out pretty much every week, and there should be a new theme warriors somewhat soon. I think that really covers it for me. So, uh, Derek, you are free to uh, let us know what your. I was kind of inspired. I don't think we're done with Severin yet. Oh, nice! <laughs> because they have a sub label known as Intervision. Oh, yes. And there's two movies that they released from the most infamous director that ever, two of his final films, and that is Mr. Bruno Mattai. <laughs> You're doing Island of the Living Dead and Zombies the Beginning. Oh, awesome. <laughs> yes, I love Bruno Mattai. <laughs> yeah. Cool Jaws all the way. Oh, yeah. And these movies are actually connected. You have to watch Island of the Living Dead and then Zombies to the beginning. So don't try to watch them out of order. You actually got to watch them in that order. Ah, I love it. Island of the Living Dead and Zombies the beginning. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm excited. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, Yeah, these are actually out of print now from Intervision. And there might be reasons why, and I'll discuss (laughs) this when we watch them. Sweet. Well, we'll be looking forward to that. I mean, we're probably looking at maybe end of June, very beginning of July for next episode. So uh, everyone keep a lookout for that, as well as all the other shows we've mentioned, um, if you're looking to find more from us. So uh, Dark Discussions Network and then Derek uh, took the indie route for his other shows. So make sure to look those up, find them as well. Um, but I think that's going to wrap up this episode. Thank you everybody for listening, but it's time for us to descend back down to the lake of fire. So with that said, catch everyone next time. Guys, say goodnight to the listeners. Good night, and make sure you don't put any mud on your face. <laughs> they might think you're Miguel. Oh no. Good night, folks. Yes, if the clues lead to cannibals or zombies, go the other way. <laughs> Watch out for those kids in the streets.